Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Thursday, November 9th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I had a really big show planned for you today. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be short, but I had a really big show, a lot of different facets included. And in the process of my investigation today and my different research and, and kind of aggregation of information, I, I one point really stood out to me and I decided to kind of change my direction today and, and focus on primarily the, the concept of human shields. And what I found, this has always been a, a core argument in long before October 7th for Israel, but in this, in this particular focus, it is clearly a linchpin to this entire argument. That even though what's crazy about the argument itself is that even though it seems to be the the everything's leaning on that argument, even though that argument doesn't remove the concept of international law. So even as they go, that's why it's it's not it's not okay. That's still a crime. Even though Hamas is doing even if they were doing everything you're claiming, what they're doing is still internet breaking international law. They're still it's genocide, and every human rights group that. In any other circumstance, we look to to frame that whether or it is or not UN and not saying we should be trusting those groups, but any of the human rights groups, I mean, everybody is on the same page who in any other historical context have been the groups that have told everybody whether or not it's a war crime. And yet they just say, oh, you must be racist then. <laughs> it's It's gotten absurd. And so today I wanted to go through this point and kind of find, really fine tune two main points, which one is the astoundingly open secret that Israel has, as I've been saying for a while, but not just the policy of the neighbor uh, procedure was what I was saying wrong before is what the term is, but that it's an open secret. The UN has called them out for it. Amnesty, Human Rights Watch, they've called them out for this in multiple fields of engagement with Gaza, 2007, 2014. And yet somehow we still act like this is a debatable topic or at the very least, we don't acknowledge that while they're accusing the other side of doing so, even though in reverse, you can show evidence that the UN is investigated, as I've referenced, and not found evidence, or many other examples of the only framing or the only contour, the, the way that they're making the argument is simply to say, well, they're there and there's also civilians, not the explicit, like we're tying them to ourselves or holding them in. I mean, that's what people present it as. But when you really cut through, it's, oh, well, they're putting children in front of them out in the field where they're protesting. Well, that's not even explicitly the right concept, but ultimately we can prove that these people, we'll get into all of this today, but is it's, it's my point to making is that aside from the what we would picture, them holding them in a room and using schools and hospitals like the way they want to frame this, they're simply going, well, they're also in Gaza and they know that and they're staying there, except that that shows the most absurd naivety around this topic, the, the idea that they are not allowed to leave, one of the most obvious and provable concepts of the entire situation, but yet because they're there too, it's human shields. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing, and we'll get into that as well as the concept of how that's been applied and what that allows them, but we're also going to go into the ongoing genocide that's continuing to take place and what's happening, the United Nations information, the Palestinian agency on the ground, the continual bombing of schools, hospitals, as everybody there, including people who are not even from Gaza, that are now even while they were there or now have left, are saying there is no uh, Hamas structures in these hospitals. And of course, they could be lying. But what's the rationale there? What is a doctor from London? 
what's the in what is the drive behind this person or who doctors from anywhere in the world who have left and now said there is no Hamas there? Because people would say, well, they're being, you know, manipulated while they're there and threatened and they have to pretend what well, well, okay, but they're not. They're going on BBC when they leave and saying there is no Hamas there. It's becoming very clear to anybody with no agenda in this that this is we're being lied to. Now, that doesn't have to then invalidate that there was some kind of an atrocity committed against Israeli citizens. I, quite clearly, there was. But what's interesting is now that story continues to fall apart as the IDF goes, we're not going to even get into the baby's beheaded story because it's now disrespectful. But except a moment ago, it was because you weren't going to show the images because Twitter would censor them. And the point is, the story is false. And a lot of these stories have been false. Again, that does not then remove the reality of what did happen. But it begins to open the story to a a very different perspective and the proof undeniable testimony from people that the security people at the kibbutz area telling you that they shot their own people or people that were fleeing from the music festival that testified that they shot people there and almost got shot themselves or that the helicopter pilots that were telling on the record to both i think it was Haretz and the radio that they were firing on people that could have been hostages as they fled all of this completely shows you that at least that some of the people that were shot were shot by the IDF. That has to be rolled into this conversation. And then that should then open the possibility that how many? Was it one? Was it half? Was it all of them? I'm not saying I know, but doesn't that suddenly matter a lot more? And then bringing it back to the point about whether or not we're even dealing with a situation where these people were ta- that were holding people in, in, in human shield scenarios or bringing into the concept of the overall occupation in the 75 years of brutal occupation and apartheid. Again, the, bo- the bottom line is the, the core starting point for this conversation was not October 7th. This did not begin there. This was not the first issue. And the point is that all of this stems back to the legalities of it all. The illegal occupation, the armed rebellion under the law, and then whether crimes were committed. And so all of this, when you actually lay it all out, begins to look very different than the terrorist attack like 9-11 that murdered and atrocities were committed, when every single example of the atrocities we've been shown have either been shown to be false or turns out that they were the kind of munitions Hamas didn't have. And then we go, well, wait a minute, how many of these terrible things that happened were either accidents because they were just bombing everywhere or deliberate or Hannibal directive? We've gone into so many of these things. So today, that's going to be the primary focus, both of the human shield aspect and how this is being used to seemingly hide what is obvious on the surface, the deliberate targeting of civilians, the mass displacement of Gaza's Palestinians, which will include West Bank. I'm, it's going to happen. I just don't know how we, I mean, Jordan was making a hard line in the sand there, but they're murdering people in the West Bank right now, and they're displacing everybody they possibly can in Gaza while murdering people in Gaza right now. It's only a matter of time. And the really the big question is, where the hell is the supposed rules-based international order? That's right. They're the ones allowing it to happen. So we're going to start today with some points peripheral. Not The whole topic today is on the main focus, but some points in regard to foreign policy that I think are important to bring into the larger conversation. And this is uh, just a tweet. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to do my best today to not, I'm, I'm not even going to play some of these videos. I'm not even going to get deep into the articles. My point in always, I know I've been saying this for probably a year and a half, but I'm try, I am trying to condense this down in some days. Some days it's just impossible. There's so much I want to include. And I, I, I know I do that on purpose. I need to get a lot out, but you let me know. Give me some feedback on today. 
would you prefer that I take more time to dive into the articles and read everything and give you my thoughts or just kind of skim and give you the surface points, including the source material? It's not always going to be one way. But please, those that know, give me your feedback and let me know if you'd prefer to be shorter with less detail and so on. You get the point. So today, starting with this system update, which I believe is actually Glenn's own thing. According to NBC News, U.S. and EU officials have broached peace negotiations with Ukraine. It's been this excruciating process where anybody that said anything that we shouldn't just murder everybody in Russia was a bad person. Sort of like, interestingly, the same thing we're being told today, but that it was always about we can't. The freedom of the free world relies on what's happening there. And then, oh, well, wait a minute, Israel, nobody cares about Ukraine anymore and the war. I mean, it's just it's just so transparently stupid that we can all go. But wait, wait OK, either that it wasn't the biggest deal in the world or it suddenly I mean, I don't know how to frame that the right way. The point is, either it was the most important thing that all democracy hinged around or it wasn't. You don't just decide to shift your narrative and go, oh, but wait a minute. But they do it all the time. North Korea is the biggest threat to our democracy. Oh, oh they got what they want. Let's look away. Nobody care anymore. Don't talk about it anymore. It's excruciating. It's excruciating. Why didn't they push for this inevitable outcome sooner, he writes, and call everyone who did Kremlin agents? Because it was always an agenda. They don't care about the Ukrainian lives. They don't care about the Russian lives. They don't care about lives. We need to begin to see that. So now they shift away. But that doesn't mean the agenda has stopped. They're going to continue funding Ukraine. As I, I don't think I have that in today, but more funding, I might. More funding is definitely going to go to Ukraine. But just it's about the way that the media, just like a gaggle of geese, just follow along whatever they're pointing at. And this is the most important democracy thing of our lifetime. And it's every day. Oh, but it's not the same story. <laughs> Today it's Israel. Tomorrow it's this. North Korea the next day. No Palestine over here or East Palestine. Whatever it is, these people out there presenting themselves like the most high-end, you know, professional journalists are just, it's embarrassing. And I really think we all begin to see that today. And I'm hoping more and more people can see how they just shake a new toy over here and they'll jump over and act like it's the biggest threat to our democracy. And they just know, don't they? But into Syria, more illegal bombings carried out by the illegal occupier of Syria, which is the United States government. The United States military has just carried out multiple airstrikes in eastern Syria with widespread and heavy explosions being reported. I mean, it's just it's it's so unnerving to stand back as somebody who can be objective. And there's a lot of you out there and just recognize how infuriating it is that this the 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 one breaking the law in this situation continues to frame themselves as the one who was under attack. Same thing happening to Israel. That doesn't mean that there's only one crime that was committed. But the point being is the illegal occupier does not have the right to pretend that they're the victim in this case. And that's we're even going to get into that point in a minute about the actual claim to right self-defense, which I've made before. My point has always been who doesn't have the right to self-defense, either as a government or an individual. But the point I've made in that nuanced point before is that it, when you're an illegal occupier, it's not a state versus a state. It's not individual versus individual. It's a state against itself, even if it's a legal occupier. So in that circumstance, they actually don't have the right to self-defense. But I've made that point before, but we'll get to that in a second. The point here is this is an occupier who is bombing the country because they're resisting. There's nothing legal about this. There's no moral high ground. This is an illegal occupier who is murdering people because they don't want to lose their agenda, their stance. And it doesn't matter how many people fought under an, a, an illusion of fighting for freedom. It's horrifying. It matters in the sense that your government should be on the hook for all the young people they sent to die for their illegal actions and the oil they're stealing and the wheat they're taking and the food they're burning. That's what's happening. 
just realize that there's a reason that they're also supporting what Israel's doing because they're doing the same damn thing. And just like that, what a magic show. All of a sudden, ISIS just pops back up and attacks the enemies of the United States government in Israel. But I thought Israel or ISIS was defeated 100%. Didn't Trump say that more than once? So it's just frustrating because this is such a game of narratives. ISIS, who, as we should know, by the way, which I highly recommend you take the time to watch James Corbett's amazing three-part documentary, The Secret History of Al-Qaeda, which over which discusses the origin of the whole war on terror and ISIS, as it were, which stems from this main point. It's all a construct of the West, predominantly the U.S. government in Israel. It's it's the receipts are there. If you watch this, if you have an objective mind and you care about facts, you walk away. There's no debating the reality of this. So the point is, as we keep pointing out, just like I make the point about Yemen, where you have a pocket of ISIS right in between. In the middle of this. As they're pretending Hamas is ISIS, right? Is that the whole point? ISIS attacks the enemies of the United States and Syria. It just becomes a little insulting, right? Completely a coincidence, of course, how that seems to happen literally every single time. How they always are aligned together, except they're always seemingly fighting them when they want that to be the narrative. It's just incredible. And for those, I, I included this, that don't realize the point I'm making. Watch this documentary so you understand it. But the point, the reality is we need to understand. ISIS, Al-Qaeda, these are constructs, proxy armies of the West. To what this is. It doesn't mean there's not elements of this that are not in their control. Quite frankly, that's always the case. Dumping money in arms and the worst of the worst and just aiming it at somebody and they lose control of it. It happens every time. But as ISIS continues to align themselves with what the U.S.-Israel agenda is, we just need to recognize what that shows us. And of course, I'll include some other important discussions as we get more into the, uh, the conversation about, you know, false flags, manipulation. This was on, this is uh, Jay uh, Polus. I forget how to pronounce his last name. This was reposted from three, the Free Thought Project back in 2016, 49 years ago. At the time, anyway, this 2016, the U.S. covered up an Israeli false flag attack that killed 34 Americans, wounded 173. You remember what that is? You should. If you don't know about it, ask yourself how that's possible, because it's the most obvious story in the world. And we have all the evidence we need, just like with 9-11, by the way, or any number of the lies we've been sold. This is the U.S.'s liberty, where Israel attacks this, this U.S. military location and killed people, Americans. And your government covered this up. This is not even this. This is an open secret. The narrative around this has gotten all spun up and confused, but this, there's a reason that nobody talks about this in the court because the story around this is impossible to deny. It's the same thing it was then or is now that this is the Israeli government that's exerting its pressure over the U.S. government to ignore that it hurt or killed or detained, for that matter, Americans, which happens all the time. We've talked about the Freedom Flotilla back in the day when one of the members from the U.S.'s Liberty, who is still alive was on the Freedom Flotilla because they were trying to, it's a ship that kind of goes and tries to give support to Palestinians and they attack them every time. And there's Americans on there. Not that that's any more important than not, but in this case, it's an American that was on the U.S.'s Liberty who was attacked by Israel. And guess what? They didn't even say a word about it. Or, and he got, they got detained. They were arrested and held for a long period. And they never had a word. Or Shireen Abu Akleh, a U.S. citizen that was shot in Israel. They didn't even speak about it. In fact, they helped cover it up. I shouldn't say it. they spoke about it. The point is they just covered it up. But this is a classic idea. And 
talking of fault manipulations and potential false flags, let's not forget that the evidence shows Israel definitely killed its own citizens on the 7th. That's not even up for debate. It's a fact. How much is what we can discuss? And I'll just include this for good measure, written by, uh, well, it's more of an article slash my show on 9-11. I think this was on the 2018, September 11th anniversary. Never forget, the ruling plutocracy uses false flags to achieve political goals. It's a great article, actually. I put a lot of good stuff in here, but the show itself I thought was pretty good as well. But bringing this to the opening segment here, what we're kind of going to kind of do here is watch a couple of these clips from one's from Max, one is from Sam, and it's about the State Department and and the the, the actual stance they're taking. It really blows me away, and I'm kind of interested on in why they seem to keep rolling out this kid now as opposed to Matt. And maybe I'm just not seeing the full thing. I'm not really watching all of the entire State Department engagement. I can't even do that anymore without pulling the little hair that I have left out of my head. But I'm going to watch a couple of these clips with you guys. I want you to see their stances. We're going to go through that kind of framing. And then we're going to get right into the illusion of the Human Shields discussion. And then more about the potential manipulations. But it's really important to see this. As Sam Husseini, a buddy of ours, friend of the show, State Department claims they aren't pressuring Abbas against invoking the genocide convention at the world court to stop Israel's assault. I put them on notice regarding their own complicity under the convention. It's, these are some important clips because I agree right now. I think they believe they're above the law. I think we all know that. But this is one of the first times in my experience that I've seen the U.S. government not just so like transparently on the surface complicit with what's happening but that the the parts of the the international community that's usually gaslighting for them and covering up is pointing at them so i think more than ever they feel like there's a possibility that they could literally end up in jail maybe which i think speaks to the shifting dynamic of the current situation but here is an important back and forth back and forth showing you how i think they know what they're doing even people like this in this position Thank you. President Lula of Brazil uh, recently joined a growing list of world leaders condemning Israel, not just simply for war crimes, not just simply for crimes against humanity, but for genocide. The late president of the Center for Constitutional Rights, Michael Ratner, uh, during Israel's 2014 assault on Gaza, which killed 2,000 Palestinians, advocated that the Genocide Convention be invoked in that case against Israel, saying that legally for genocide, quote, you don't need to kill all of them. You just need to have the mental intent to kill part of them. Craig Mokhyber, who just resigned as director of the New York office of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, noted that intent, usually the hardest part of genocide to prove, isn't in this case. He's, he wrote in his resignation letter, quote, explicit statements of intent by leaders in the Israeli government and military leave no room for doubt or debate. Um, Finally, Francis Boyle, who successfully prosecuted, or who successfully represented Bosnia and Herzegovina in their genocide case against Yugoslavia before the International Court of Justice, has similarly argued that the Palestinians or any other signer to the Genocide Convention should immediately instigate a, initiate a uh, emergency legal process invoking the convention at the International Court of Justice. Yet no government has done so. Um, my you question to you, there? my question to you is, has the U.S. government pressured or bribed or threatened in any way, shape or form Abbas, the people around him, institutions around him from invoking this or any other legal mechanisms against Israel to stop its attack? Um, I don't even know where to start there, Sam. Um, 
uh, no, the U.S. has not been involved in <laughs> love that. Uh, uh, pressuring or uh, anything like that. Which is for the podcast. It's Times of Israel on September 10th, 2021. Biden officials privately pushed Abbas to shelve ICC probe against Israel. So this obviously is not immediate. Right. So what he's responding to would be about the current situation. But the point is, this is not something I mean, they detest the ICC. Of course, they'll use it against other people. But the point is that anytime it gets brought up, they'll threaten the families of the people that work there. I think both Bolton and Pompeo did this publicly. But the bottom line is that all he's simply saying is that, you're, you know, why have they not initiated this? That with seeming every expert on international law and, and potential wars against humanity or crimes against humanity and war crimes are speaking about how this is the most obvious example in history. Now, to really quickly, this is the thing we've already brought up, and this is what the guy was saying. It's not even up for debate. Their explicit statements show you that they're try that, like, for instance, again, the focus is not on destruction, it's on destruction, not accuracy, right? Or that Gaza will be in ruins, or we wipe out all of them, that these people are animals. They don't, it's very clear, right? So from an international law perspective, it's obvious they have the intent and the actions are on display. And this is why I think they're so, I mean, it's, it's, it's either that they're afraid to admit this because of accountability, which that may not be the case, or just that we're finally seeing in real technicolor, vivid, real time, the influence of the Zionist governments over other governments. You tell me. I mean, how else do you explain how, I mean, detrimental this is? I mean, Biden's got an election coming up, and they are sticking to this like crazy. While every single group they've ever pointed at to make their case in the past is saying, you're committing genocide. The U.S. government being complicit with it is my point, and they're still going. It's pretty alarming. I mean, but I'm glad that people are seeing it. It's just kind of, it's kind of jarring to see how obviously these Groups are completely co-opted or willing to go along with genocide to their own de detriment to support Israel. Many officials uh, within uh, the Palestinian Authority. Uh, what I will just say again in the context of this conflict, we have been incredibly clear that as Israel defends itself and defends its security, that it is imperative that it continues to make a distinction between Hamas terrorists and Palestinian civilians, and that's something we'll continue to raise uh, directly. Right. So we'll just keep asking them politely. Can you can you maybe just aim a little bit less at civilians? Can you just murder a little a few a couple, you know, murder fewer children and we'll be OK. Like, think about the framing of that. It's not even up for debate. The U.N. is standing this now. Four thousand children. The reality the, you can you could literally count this in dead children and videos coming out of the Gaza out of Gaza. And, and, and yet we're oh, well, we continue to believe that they're. I just I mean, this is the most in your face sidestep like where everybody can see it and yet they're just towing that line this is where complicity becomes obvious you can't claim ignorance here because the, their groups are tapping them on the shoulder going that's not true you can see this here's the evidence and they go well we we believe that they're doing their best to do that's that's that i i promise you somebody's worried about that with uh, Israeli counterparts. I will also note that we, uh, within the U.S. government, have a rigorous process for evaluating whether something constitutes uh, genocide. And we have not made uh, that assessment. In this and of course, this is where you point out that they didn't need that assessment for Russia or for China or for any number of other enemy targeting examples where they just go, genocide, when there's no evidence of that. Or a point somebody made very well earlier that you literally have examples of Russia, provable, by the way, despite people that are going, you're just trusting Russia, where they moved children out of war zones into secure locations where their families were involved. 
And the families allowed that to happen. And then the West still framed it as child trafficking and kidnapping children. And while you can literally prove that Israel has been detaining and kidnapping children from Gaza as far back as you can look and currently killed over 4,000 of them, and they won't even bat an eye. But Russia, war criminal, immediately. It's, it is, it's absurdly obvious. This case, uh, and it's really important to remember that Hamas uh, bears responsibility for sparking this war. Uh nope. That's not even true by definition because it's an illegal occupation. But even then, the point is, as every human rights group and the United Nations and UNICEF, every one of them is saying that doesn't matter. You don't just blame them and then collect the punishment. That's why that rule exists. So they're just stating something that does not remove the law. They're, I guess they're just hoping they have the backing from people like the U.S. Uh, and they brought this tragic war to Gaza. They have uh, compounded and uh, perpetuated the suffering of the Palestinian people at every step of this crisis. And, and let's not forget who created them. So if that is a point you want to make and act like it's only Hamas's fault, well, you guys are responsible for growing and creating and using them. So you just you, there's no winning in this. They've lost control of this. But the main point is it doesn't matter whether Hamas does everything you're talking about. This did not start on October 7th, and they did not. And the idea of saying it's their fault that Israel then bombs them this hard because they, they should have known what was going to happen. It's just you're just in a very childish way trying to whitewash the responsibility for their own actions. Because somehow because we just secretly know Israel is this belligerent and this genocidal that it's Hamas's fault. They, they, they knew what was going to happen. That's, people like Ben Shapiro are making that argument. It's, I, it, they, it's, it's embarrassing. Uh, and as I said, we continue to support Israel's right to defend itself against we'll these terrorist that. attacks uh, by Hamas. You claim, excuse me, you claim that uh, you want Israel to make the distinction, but you don't seem to be decking to right. making the, the, we the distinction. If I, if I might, I didn't interrupt zone. you. I didn't interrupt you. The Center for Constitutional Rights just put out a statement. Legal organizations put members of Congress on notice for complicity on genocide. Quote, right. please take note. This is a letter that they sent to members of Congress, Center for Constitutional Rights. Please take notice that should you vote in favor of that package, the Biden package for Israel, you risk facing criminal and civil liabilities for aiding and abetting genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity under international law and may face investigation and prosecution. Do members of the State Department face similar Possibility. Again, uh, Sam, as I said, we have uh, the U.S. government has a, a rigorous process in place for evaluating whether something constitutes uh, genocide. Think about what's going on in his head right there. Sam just put him on notice, right? You personally, bud, are on the you're you're culpable based on that statement and based on the international law. What you're doing right now is you, you could be held legally accountable. And the point was, all he goes regresses right back. Well, we have a process. We haven't got there yet. Okay. So you just, bla in public sphere, made it clear that you guys are allowing genocide. And even if you later do your due diligence and find, what does that matter? So you later find out they did. Does that then remove your accountability for allowing it to happen? That's incredible. So I'm, I'm so so glad that he's putting them on notice like this. And we have not made that assessment. In but this you case. continue to I'm pretend gonna, I've, that the I've bombing taken... of hospital after hospital, bakery after bakery, uh, university after university, and somehow you keep pretending that oh they're just after military I, people. I, I, I appreciate I appreciate your question, Sam. I've taken two of them. Now I'm going to work in the room a little bit. Go ahead. Run, run, run. It's embarrassing. Well, it's not hard to see. This is just eight. You could, there's for the podcast. There's eight images here with text. One of them being the reservist. The rest of them being lead people in the in the U.S. or the, the Israeli uh, government. 
and blatantly making it clear. These are, we're targeting all of them. I mean, again, you don't really need much more than that. The same Guardian article that I show. It's just his quote right there. Emphasis is on damage, not accuracy. It's just, this is my, everything's an open secret in the severe. They're literally telling you what they're doing. And if you point at what, if you say what they said, you're called a racist or a terrorist. It's just, it's just, it's mind blowing. And I think that's why they've lost control. Now here's Sam saying, I question the state department. Is Israel really targeting Hamas? And this will, will get, this is opening into the conversation of the whole dynamic of human shields and, and whether that matters in regard to them killing 4,000 plus children. Does the U.S., he asked, recognize the fourth Geneva Convention? Under international law, Israel has no right to self-defense as an occupier. Now, we've made this point before, but what, what most of you probably remember is the, the incessant point about the fact that literally everybody has a right to defend themselves. Therefore, continuing to say that is a moot point. And I, that's, that's important to understand before you even get in to the occupier and occupied point, is that simply saying that is meant to whitewash everything they do as defense. That's the first point. But then realizing that in the Geneva Conventions, the idea, or rather under international law, which includes the Geneva Conventions, that this, the right of self-defense does not apply to an occupier. Now, there is an, a caveat to that, but even that gets into the reality that they are then on the hook to take care and protect the civilians as the occupier. And they're not doing that. So they're not even applying legally in that regard. So ultimately, they do not have the right to claim that they can fight or the right to defend themselves against the occupied as the occupier. That's really important. So every corner of this argument, they're in the wrong. That's the reality. That does not mean that Hamas individuals are should not be held accountable for their crimes, which I maintain, regardless of what you may think is the justification because of occupation and because of, you know, and the fact that Israel brought these civilians into the occupied areas, which means they've made them military. That's, that's on Israel. But even then, my point is we have to make a hard line about this and say civilians are always off no matter what. No matter from where, no matter what their beliefs. So the point is that we have to still say that if they targeted and kidnapped and and killed and uh, even worse to civilians, well, then they should be held accountable. But that does then not invalidate the legal standing of, of the idea of occupied territories having the right to armed rebellion, which would then mean that they do not have the right to act like they're defending themselves as the occupier. That's a really important point that is going to continue to be lost on people that don't want to hear this. There was breaking news about a Red Cross truck being hit, uh, apparently by Israel. Do you have knowledge? Uh, I don't get no notifications that? of that stuff when I'm up here, Sam, but I'm well, happy I mean, to, to like, check. You know, several hours ago, I mean. Uh, as you, for the podcast, it was 20 hours ago when he was doing this. So he would have known about it. In fact, I, we, can, we know he knows about it. And they ignore it. You know why? Because the Red Cross is on the record saying that they were aware of the uh, uh, convoy involving the Red Crescent, I believe, if I remember correctly, and then it got bombed by Israel. And they openly claimed it was Hamas members. That either means that they're claiming Red Cross is working with Hamas, or that somehow, Red, uh, what was the other dynamic? But the bottom line is the Red Cross is on the record saying that this was these were our people and these were civilians we were moving. And then they bombed it. And they tried to cover it up and it got messy because the reality is they, and even, even CNN is on the record saying that that's what Red Cross was delivering. And what they were saying. So they go, well, I don't know, Sam. Maybe it was, yeah, we don't know. I mean, let me get back to you on that. And I don't.
That's how this goes. I, I don't have any specific updates on, on that specific report. You, you, you accept Israel's premise that it is actually targeting Hamas and not the civilian population of the Palestinians in spite of all of this evidence? We do. We do. We uh, accept the premise that uh, Israel is... Uh, uh, That's very different than what Matt Miller was trying to clumsily put out. He's just made it very clear. We do. Right? We believe that they're not trying to kill 4,000 children. More, I mean, we'll get into the numbers, the absurdity of trying to pretend, and I'll get into even the, the bombing locations and, and how many Hamas members supposedly exist, and then you can just do the math for yourself. They're not bombing Hamas, they're bombing Palestine, and that's the entire objective here. That's just plainly evident now based on what they're continuing to do. Undertaking a military operation to... Uh, degrade Hamas, to uh, target Hamas, and to do everything it can to hold Hamas accountable for its uh, 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 terrorist attacks on... No, if they were just trying to go after Hamas and not all of Palestine after a month of indiscriminate bombing, I mean, that's just obscene. They would have gone in. But you see, the point is they know that they're losing when they do that, so they revert back to just indiscriminate bombing because they have the blind, grotesque backing of the U.S. government the Israeli people on October 7th. Reports are of several, of over 10,000 civilians and uh, over 4,000 children. Sam, Uh, I'm not disputing. How many Hamas dead have they got? Sam, I'm not. uh, We're not getting the numbers of what they claim are Hamas members. We're not getting the numbers of supposedly the people or even like the full details about who all were captured and how many members that were killed were IDF members or or, or, uh, police or even settlers. In that supposed 1,400 number they keep throwing out that that's been reduced to 1,100 according to some international groups. But it just keeps jumping all around and we don't get any evidence. In the meantime, you get this exact listing of all the children that have been killed with their names and ages. Now, that could, of course, be a lie. But we're seeing that supported by other international communities or entities like the United Nations, like Amnesty International. This is just it's it's a one sided illusion that we continue to see. Now, every side is capable of lying and deceiving for the agenda, especially if they believe their side is the righteous one. But right now, the amount of evidence, which is what Sam is pointing out, is literally undeniable. And that's why everybody sees this. Disputing that there has been an immense uh, impact on civilians over the course of this operation, that there has been an immense number of civilian casualties over the course of this operation. How can you even admit that? An immense number, and then go on to act like they're avoiding them. You know why? Because the implicit point is that it's their fault. Without saying it, of course, because you can't say that, it's their fault, because either they're holding them there, which then makes it not their fault still, and that doesn't in, that doesn't allow targeting them anyway, which Israel's trying to say, or that you're pretending that they support them. Therefore, they're terrorists anyway, or any number of, of, of ridiculous points. Or how about the idea that most of these people we're talking about are not able to go anywhere else? One, because they bomb where they go. Two, because they won't let them cross, even if they got there. And three, because they want to maintain their own territory and not be displaced for the third time. And or even fourth, people that are hurt in hospital on ventilators, babies and in incubators. All of this matters. Or how about fifth? All of the hostages they claim are where they are bombing. None of that seems to matter to this logical person. Um, We have been uh, very direct with our Israeli partners about the fact that uh, there is an imperative to uh, target Hamas terrorists and not civilians. uh, And we (laughs) will continue to raise that. Oh, good. Just keep letting them know there's an imperative to do the thing you don't do. Got it? Okay, we heard you. Back to bombing civilians.
Then the next town, we're reminding you about the imperative to do the thing we just said. Got it. Bombing civilians. That's all that's happening. As long as they stand up and go, freedom, then it's, then it's all about freedom, right? Same game here. They stand up and they go, we are doing our best to minimize, and then they just do whatever they want. That's politics for you. That's government for you. We have made so very clearly that we believe that there are additional steps that can be taken to. What does that even mean, additional steps? So you, so what you're admitting, with this guy's not good at this, in my opinion, but if you're, if you're what you're admitting right there is that that means that there are steps that they could have taken that they did not. So that means that they're not taking every step they need to are doing everything they can to minimize casualties. You just literally explained that there are steps that they could be taking that they haven't. So by default, they haven't done everything they could be doing to minimize. This is how dumb this is. And you know what's even worse? They're not doing anything to minimize civilian casualties. And we all know that. So, but what he just said, based on deductive logic, admits that that's the case. That's how dumb this is. Minimize the impact on civilians. But your question was, do I take issue with their stated go intent? Back to I, I of, stopped at a bunch right there. Here, let's do them in, in concession. This operation. Um, we have been uh, very direct with our Israeli partners about the fact that uh, there is an imperative to uh, target Hamas terrorists and not civilians. Uh, and we will continue to raise that. And we have made so very clearly that we believe that there are additional steps that can be taken to minimize the impact on civilians. But your question was, do I take issue with their stated intent of targeting and undertaking Hamas? No, I no, do no, not. No, no, no. I wasn't asking that at all. I was saying, do you accept at face value we have, in spite of all of the evidence? We have no reason to... Uh, we have no reason to not accept that Israel is uh, undertaking an operation with a stated intent of targeting Hamas and degrading Hamas. All right. So that, see, that was a very shifty point. We have no, we have no reason to believe that they're not at the, their, their stated intent. Well, you just, all you're saying is we have no reason to believe that they don't say that. Well, obviously, but the main point is that you have every reason to believe that they are not taking every step because, first of all, you just told us there are steps they're not taking. But two, because the amount of people are, that are being killed in just one month, out, it, out, it, it over, overshadows literally every field of war we could point at, especially based on time and a temporal alignment here. We have one month and the most like the best point we make is about in regard to Russia, the idea of how many people were killed there. And they called them war criminals. And yet it's in one month they've killed more children in the entire frame of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now. And yet you have no reason to believe this is why they're on the hook for this, because they are putting themselves on the hook. I know that's their stated intent. I'm just saying that the evidence of hospital after hospital and school after school undermines that. What would you say? Yeah. Sam, we have been, uh, you've, it's not the first time you've heard me say this, uh, we have uh, been very vocal about the fact that uh, steps need to be taken to need minimize to the impact on civilians. Ah, that's even more specific. Now they need to be taken. Not that they could be, they need to be. So now you just made it even more clear that they're not even doing the steps that you suggest. But we all know this because they've even made that public. Millions. Uh, we recognize that there has continued to be an, an increasing impact on civilians over the course of this operation. Right. So the increasing impact has only grown, which means not only are they not listening to you, they're making it even worse. This is what I mean. This guy, he's trapping himself with his own words, right? That usually people that are good at this job know how to sidestep things, basically say a million things without saying anything. 
He's actually saying things right now without even realizing it, I argue. Uh, and we'll continue to be very direct with our Israeli partners that this operation uh, needs to and should be conducted in accordance with international law and that there is a strategic and moral imperative uh, to do so. But that does not change the fact that Hamas also is an entity that continues to use uh, Palestinian civilians as human shields. Okay, so now you're basically just undermining the reality. or you're By saying that, you're suggesting that those people, civilians, are at least in some gray area limbo where they might be able to be killed. That's absurd. That it's Almost even saying that is a crime. It's just unbelievable to me that they're trying to paint this brush. This operation uh, needs to and should be conducted in accordance with international law and that there is a strategic and moral imperative uh, to do so. But, he says, right, you don't lay it out and say absolute but. See, all he's doing is opening that door and saying that's an imperative that they act with an international law, but, which means there's a caveat, but they're using human shields. That's the point I'm making. So he is literally saying that the fact that they're using human shields creates the opening for maybe not applying that exactly. Language has, they mean, words mean stuff. They have clear meaning and he's, again, bad at this. But that does not change the fact that Hamas also is an entity that continues to use uh, Palestinian civilians as human shields that has integrated and co-located itself with schools, hospitals, and other critical nope. civilian infrastructure. I have not seen any evidence to suggest this. And we've got evidence from leading human rights groups and the United Nations that say otherwise. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's not happening. Certainly they could miss it, right? But do you believe that they would have hold, held back images of human shields if they had even a single one? It would be literally everywhere. Now, I'll go, I'm going to go on to show you the constant evidence over the last couple of decades calling Israel out for using this. If you haven't already seen my main image, which is a real example. But this is where we are with these people. Uh, Hamas is a group and it's a terrorist organization that is bent on hijacking the political future of Palestinian civilians. And well, I mean, realistically, they're the ones that put them in that position then got them elected and then continued to help them manipulate the situation and divide and conquer. So that by default means that Israel did that with U.S. help. E even if Hamas has now structurally changed over the process, that's what they did. There is a clear track record of that. I sent our exchange from Monday around to a series of international lawyers. I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Falk. He's a very prominent international lawyer, taught at Princeton for years, was the international, was the UN rapporteur. Um, he emailed back to me, Gaza remains, from the perspective of international law and the UN, in occupied Palestine territory subject exactly. to the Fourth Geneva Convention. This is what I'm keeping, I, I hope people don't think I'm, this is the reality, regardless of what Israel sycophants and blind followers out there try to tell you. And look, let me put it this way. Even if you think that's wrong, which I don't, I think it's easily provable. The point is, regardless, everybody that matters has always maintained that it is an occupied territory that belongs to Palestine. That's all you need to understand, which then means under the Geneva Conventions, they have a right to armed rebellion. Those are simple, objective facts in this conversation. Even if you can prove that that's incorrect, the UN still maintains that. So legally speaking, it is the reality. But my point is, it is provable. It is obvious. But yet, they deny even that basic reality. Territory subject to the Fourth Geneva Convention. I don't believe that Israel recognizes the Fourth Geneva Convention for exactly. all of these decades. I don't know what U.S. policy is on that question. So yeah, that's yeah. one question. This means that Israel is an occupying power and has 
a primary obligation to safeguard the safety of the civilian population. It is entitled to take reasonable lawful measures to, to restore its security in the aftermath of such an attack, referring to October 7th. Right. As such, it has no international legal right of self-defense. Even if it had such a right of self-defense, it wouldn't have no le legal or moral basis for engaging in a genocidal assault, the character exactly. which has been strongly confirmed by Israel's top leaders. Because they say so. These are international lawyers, the United Nations, across the board. Everyone's like, look, there is no legal loophole here. They're breaking the law. Everybody knows it. Now, what we're eventually going to see is whether the power of government control over these bodies or the bodies themselves, who are supposed to be these kind of checks and balances concept, which one actually wins out and has more power, right? I mean, really, it seems to me right now it's going to come down to which side the average person takes and which side we lean into as a collective human species and go, this is not okay, or pretend that they're the right ones for screaming the word freedom while murdering everybody and they eventually pressure down these in, these institutional bodies or get rid of the people that are willing to call them out like we've seen many times but never to this scale i you know what i hope for does the u.s recognize the geneva conventions as applying to palestine ter palestinian territories sam what i'm just going to say is what you've heard us say before is that I, we believe in that i'm well, asking this that's the, that's question. that's uh, that's the answer that i have for you which is that we believe wholeheartedly that israel has every right to defend itself and to Okay, so think how stupid this is. One, he didn't even answer the question. Does the U.S. recognize the Geneva Conventions as applying to Palestinian territories, meaning that based on the definition of these lawyers from the, the U.N. rapporteurs of before, saying that is what the reality is, and they don't have that right since they are occupying, and it's a basic reality, he simply just goes, I'm, I'm, they have the right to self-defense. So you're now saying that the U.N. is lying, or that you understand international law better than U.N. rapporteurs on international law, and at, you know, all the rest of the international bodies that literally that's all they do. I think you know the answer to that. He's just sidestepping because the answer is they have a right to self-defense. They have a right to self-defense. They have a right to self-defense. Human shields, human shields. Defendant security and what happened on October 7th uh, uh, would be unacceptable uh, to any country uh, and steps must and should be taken. Steps must and should be taken to ensure that uh, those events uh, cannot uh, be repeated. Now, I've but, taken but three of your not, questions. I'm going to work one the room. Country attacking Alex, another. Uh, That's uh, thank you. Power. Right, so this is the main point. Like, what you have to envision, and this is not up for debate, right, is as if the United States, as the country, had occupied, which, by the way, is not a hard thing to wrap your mind around, occupied, you know, Hawaii, which they did, but let's just make it specific. So let's just say Texas, right? Which, not that far off either from, from Mexico, but the point is, you know, Texas was an occupied area that wasn't theirs. Right. And the point is that then the United States builds a fence around Texas and holds them people there and says, you're part of us when we want you to be. Otherwise, you're your own thing. And we're going to continue to take and rob and steal. But the point is, then all of a sudden they try to fight out of that location under the legal reality that they have the right to armed rebellion. And then the United States claims the right to self-defense and continues to bomb relentlessly for 30 days straight anywhere and everywhere in Texas. That's what's happening, because this is inside of Israel. That's the reality. Now, we're going to get into the lie about how they remove themselves, and as, as Ben says later in the show, and that's why they voted in Hamas. So they, they never removed themselves. They backed their troops away and then built a fence inside of Israel, and they have no ability to do anything on their own. They're still, per the United Nations, in occupied territory even after that. So these are all games.
It's all games of narrative, trying to lie and shift the narrative in the way they want them to look as the Zionist government I'm talking about. Now, under Sam's tweets, Decensored News, which is also, uh, which I think is his platform, says this is basically every U.S. government presser that Sam or Max has gone to this past month. Now, this is actually really spot on, in my opinion. And this applies to not just Israel and Palestine. This applies to any, you know, I support the current thing. Every time, this is what you get. The talking points, the narrative, and none of it is even rooted in, you know, the reality. Justified bombing a refugee camp where hundreds of civilians were killed. Now, for the podcast, it says pro-Israel NPCs be like. And that means for non-player character from a video game where, you know, the, basically the game is that the, the, you have players that are in games that only have like a select limited amount of responses. You know, you got like three different responses based on how you engage and that's all they're able to do. So it's kind of a joke about the NPC and applies to not just one side the left. The, the two party paradigm is full of NPCs. That's the kind of the joke. They always point to each other, but so as, as if these people have program responses. And so he's asking them. How do you justify bombing a refugee camp where hundreds of civilians were killed? Israel has the right to defend itself. How are you defending yourself by bombing a refugee camp? Human shields. So you admit to targeting civilians? Israel has the right to defend itself. Why did you bomb the bakery? Human shields. But there was no one there at the time of the bombing. Israel has the right to defend itself. Why are so many people in the West Bank being killed? Terror tunnels. I'm asking about the West Bank. Terror tunnels. We're discussing the West Bank, not Gaza. Israel has the right to defend itself. Terror tunnels. Israel has the right to defend itself. Human shields. Israel has the right to defend itself. I mean, it's almost, I mean, it's really not that far off, guys. Just because of the nuanced statements, it's the same, you know, framing human shield in another narrative. That's what we're dealing with right now. None of those statements change the reality. That's what's so alarming about this, and yet it continues. Here's a clip uh, from Max Blumenthal talking to the State Department, asking, and this this is a good one in in particular, about the contradiction, right? There there was one I showed recently, similarly, about Russia. It's the same game. They, they're very quick to say genocide to anybody that they don't like as long as they have a narrative, somebody stating something. It could be true. I wouldn't quibble for a second that either government or any government is capable of that. But the absurdity, as they stand here and go, we have this individual, like Matt Miller went to the absurd level of claiming they need to investigate literally every bomb dropped, which you think they've ever done that? I mean, think about how insulting that is. But either way, let's just say hypothetically that's what they were going to do as Israel's bo- dropped more bombs in one month than most wars ever. The point is that what we're talking about is waiting to pretend that you can investigate this afterward while you're currently supporting what we can all tell is exactly what you claim isn't happening. They didn't do that for Russia. They didn't do that. I mean, how would you even pretend that they did this? How would you even pretend they've done this in chi- inside of China? That's what they claim. China's committing genocide against the Uyghurs. They don't know this. They're pretending because they want to use it for, pol- for politics. Now, here's a good example of that. 2021, Secretary Blinken accused China of the crime of genocide for its alleged treatment of the Uyghur minority, but he didn't accuse them of killing on any mass scale or force forcible transfer. Now we see with Israel's military assault on Gaza, something like one out of two, every 200 people in the Gaza Strip has been eliminated. Over 4,000 children killed. The Ministry of Intelligence, as Sam pointed out, in Israel has published a blueprint for the forced transfer of the entire Palestinian population 
to Egypt. We have the intent to commit genocide expressed at the highest level of the Israeli government, including Netanyahu himself referring to the Palestinian population as Amalek, the biblical Amalek. So I wonder, you know, when, you, when you're accusing one country of genocide without accusing them of mass killing and then blocking ceasefires to enable another country's military assault, what metric are you using to determine genocide or is this just political rhetoric? It's certainly not political rhetoric, uh, the department, and I talked a little bit about this yesterday. We have a rigorous process uh, in place for evaluating whether something constitute as genocide or not. Whether it constitute as genocide. That's not a rigor. Well, you didn't describe a rigorous process or metrics. You just said we have a process. He's asking for specific metrics. You guys know this, though. The point is that that's not the answer. You, you, are we going to pretend there's some rigorous process you went through to find out what happened inside of an area that you're not, don't have access to? No, no. They're just telling you that that's what happened because that's advantageous to their agenda. And that is true in any country that uh, that situation might be being looked at. Uh, that well, how about Venezuela, for example? Are we going to pretend that they have inside information on what's going on in every single location? No, they just tell you that's what's happening. And the point is, they lied. We all know that. They lied about Bolivia. They lied about Venezuela. The evidence is on the table. That's why That's why Mr. Guaido is no longer the president of Venezuela, and they need Venezuela today. They lie about these things. Even Remember, Bolivia, they lied. They pretended it was a stolen election. The OAS steps in. They force them out. A military junta steps into place. And then it later was revealed that they didn't do anything. And weirdly, the OAS had no problem with a military junta stepping in as they were screaming about democracy. We're just always being played by these people. It is not a term that we have assessed pertains to this current conflict. We are, of course, monitoring the evolving situation and are examining facts as they develop. Uh, this continues to be um, uh, an incredibly uh, challenging uh, and, and fraught situation. But it's also important to remember that Hamas bears responsibility for sparking this war. There it is uh, again. They have brought this tragic war uh, to Gaza. Okay, well, President Biden has accused the Russian government of genocide for its actions in Ukraine, where in two years it has killed as many civilians as Israel has killed in one month in the Gaza mm -hmm. Strip. So how do you account for that disparity where you're assisting one country and accusing the other of genocide when one the country you're assisting has systematically killed so many more people in one month. Those circumstances are totally and completely uh, not the same. And to make a comparison like that, candidly, is um, incredibly uh, uh, inappropriate. Oh, inappropriate. Oh, is it, is it inappropriate to compare two fields of war with one has a shockingly higher number of civilian deaths and only one of them we're supposed to care about? Like, that's just that, that's that's the equivalent of calling him a racist because he says the thing you're not supposed to say. It's not, it's not, I, I mean, it just blows me away that people even for a second buy this. That's again, why I really do think that the average person is shocked into being aware of this stuff right now. We have been, please, please don't interrupt me. We have been, uh, we have raised directly with uh, the Israeli government about the need to uh, distinguish between Hamas terrorists and uh, Palestinian civilians. There's another point. So so you, you, you take it all the way to the point where you need to go to them and express your need or their need to do something, which, by the way, again, means they're not doing that. Why would you need to go express the need to do something you keep telling us they're already doing? Oops. Uh, this is something that the secretary has raised directly on his travels. Yep. And then the corporate media has revealed that they are frustrated because Israel won't listen to them.
or really the U.S. doesn't care, and that's the way to make them maybe kind of look to the U.S. like they're trying at the very least while pretending like they're meeting everything they need to meet. He, uh, we even laid out that we believe that there are um, commitments that can be made additionally on dealing with protecting civilian life more effectively. Right, so they're not taking all the steps they should be taking. Understood. Uh, and we're watching very closely to, to, to make sure that happens. But you've referred to Palestinian civilians as human shields. Doesn't that blur the distinction but yep. between civilians and militants? I, I am not. We have not referred to Palestinian civilians as human shields. We have said. We have said. We have said. We have said that Hamas is using Palestinian civilians as human shields. That Wouldn't is that not. Be... That is not hyperbole. That is something that we have seen Hamas do. As oh, really? I would love to see the image which I guarantee he hasn't seen. They continue to uh, integrate themselves into key civilian infrastructure across Gaza. Wouldn't that yeah, insert as Israel has told us that we have not confirmed? That's, that's what he's doing. Be blurring the distinction between civilians and combatants. If you yep. say Hamas is using civilians as that's human shields, wouldn't that be in some ways justifying the yep. killing of civilians because they happen to be we, in the we way, are not in justifying we are there is no one in this administration that is justifying um killing of civilians any civilian life loss uh is incredibly troubling heartbreaking to us any number above zero is deeply troubling to us what we clearly not i mean you could stand here and point out the war on terror and the the obscene amount of civilians that they killed or the drone program that actually i think even the new york times reported was like 90 something percent civilians Nobody believes that for a second, especially not Americans. What we are doing is we are working with our Israeli partners to ensure that steps can be taken to minimize the impact on civilian life. And we also have uh, believe that there is a moral imperative, there is a strategic imperative to take steps to minimize uh, loss of civilian life. I mean, so it's not really about actually helping them. It's because we can benefit from not killing them. That's a strategic problem. But that's not even happening, right? The idea is very clear. Like what, what is the last word he said right here? Heartbreaking to us, any number of Israeli partners to ensure that steps can be taken to minimize the impact. Right. Minimize. So it's the same game they've played before. So then that means by default that we're going to kill. Like the idea that we've ever accepted that just killing civilians in the process of going after the bad guy is just part of war. That never, ever used to be the stated reality, even though we always knew they did that. Now they've just made that the case. So now, based on that logic, now it becomes a game of trying to decide if the amount they killed is enough to constitute. You see how they've changed that? But that's for them. The average person does not think that right now, or rather the institutions. And I, I really do believe that, though, the average person. But they are shifting this to try to cover their own crimes, which is what governments do. Now, Sam Husseini points out Israel isn't targeting Hamas any more than George Bush was trying to stop non-existent Iraq WMDs. They are using whatever propaganda and pretext they can to do as much damage to Palestinian life and continue to try and steal the country from them. This includes attacks on Palestinian Christians, while zombie Christians in the U.S. support Netanyahu's carnage. Here's Jeffrey Lafredo pointing out the Palestinians in the largest Christian community in the West Bank as they harvest olives from their 700-year-old olive groves. Since October 7th, they have been violently attacked and repeatedly kicked out of their own ancient olive fields. It happens all the time. It, by Jewish settlers, and I don't mean that's an okay thing. This is a constant reality for Palestinians who are illegally building a home compound on their property with IDF military protection. It's it's grotesque, and there's so many examples. I don't even I don't I don't remember if I included it today or not. We'll see at the end. But there's a, a part about the West Bank in general that should really unnerve you. 
in regard to, let me see if I do have it right here. Here, I'm just going to do this really quickly since I didn't plan on getting into this specific part of this, this part. But since it's just, I only have a few tabs to show you really quickly in regard to the West Bank. And it's just, it's really, it's horrifying to see how openly, here we go. Just real quick here. I just not even framed up. So this is Al Mayadeen English saying the Palestinian Health Ministry announced that the Israeli occupation forces have murdered 17 Palestinians in the West Bank today alone. Just today. They're not talking about Hamas. We're talking about part of Israel, even though it's you know 45 checkpoints. The point is, it's not Gaza. And they're and, and they have settlers, as even the corporate media's reported, the roving gangs of settlers that are raping and robbing and stealing and shooting. It's crazy. And they're supporting them. In the past month, coinciding with the Israeli aggression on Gaza, the, the occupation forces have frequently stormed cities in the West Bank where they kill several Palestinians and arrest many others. The United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency says the West Bank, 150 Palestinians, including 44 children in the West Bank, have been killed since the 8th, or excuse me, since the 7th, and uh, 8, including one child, by Israeli settlers. So the... IDF is killing, they killed 44 children, according to the UN, in the West Bank. That's not Hamas. They're not even claiming that's Hamas. How do we rationalize that? Because this is what the plan was, in my opinion. And they say Gaza, just in the last 24 hours, confirms another seven UN colleagues just today. Another seven UN staff members. Here, just to show you what they deal with on a regular basis. This is one a random Palestinian woman, a student on the way to school, who gets stopped by IDF members, and then they go on to grope all over her. Which is a common, that's right between her legs, right around her chest. Yeah, that's, that's just the reality, guys, for no reason other than being a Palestinian. Here is a really hard thing to, to, to just to see. This, this guy, it's basically an Israeli, it's, this is Dylan Griffith, Griffith in Israeli prisons. The treatment of Palestinian detainees raises serious concerns. That's a very nice way to put that. Mohammed Obaid, a Palestinian prisoner, served an 18-month sentence just for brandishing a knife at a settler. That means just showing it. That's it. Upon release, he exhibited severe deterioration in both mental and physical health. So that means he was 18 months for showing a knife and he was tortured. That, that's the reality of their life. Approximately 5,000 Palestinians are held in Israeli detention facilities. This is a member of the U.S. military, uh, a, a combat veteran. I forget what, what which, which branch, but it's a demographic that includes 170 children. Okay, so right now, as they keep pointing it, they claim 200 people are captured over there, some of them children. There's 170 children right now that have been held some places, sometimes for years without charge in Israel right now. And they've taken 1,200 more civilians since this started. Why don't we ever talk about that? In the previous month, a further 1,800. So that's gone up from 12 to 1,800 were detained in the West Bank and other occupied territories. Lastly, a woman in the West Bank, a young girl, simply looking out her window gets shot by the IDF just for being there. This happens all the time. In any case, it's constant. This is their constant reality. And I just think it's very important for us to know that. Now, back to the, the main part here. Dan Kovalik points out the U.S. claims it can't stop targeting of civilians or Israel's targeting of civilians. 
That is war crimes, by the way. And he says that's absurd. And here's his logic. Address uh, the current claims uh, by the Biden administration, including by Anthony Blinken, that in terms of Israel's uh, prosecution of this war, which is more of a turkey shoot, of course, that the U.S. is concerned about human life in Gaza, has tried to tell Israel to protect the civilian population there, to stop bombing civilians and civilian infrastructure like schools and hospitals, but that Israel isn't listening and there's nothing the United States can do about it. That's essentially what the Biden administration is saying now. Other than completely lie about it, hide it, and obfuscate the reality, right? Which is what they're doing. In response. Even, again, even though we have on the record, because of leaked information, uh, anonymous reports, that they're trying to get them to stop and they won't. So think about how absurd that is as Sam just goes, you know, should well, they just give you the stated idea that they're doing everything they can, but yet here they are behind the scenes going, stop killing children. <laughs> If they even actually care about that, maybe that's false. Who even knows? The point is, we're being lied to. That's the thing we need to understand. The massive protests to Biden's policies in the Middle East. This is ridiculous. The Biden just requested, and the House of Representatives has approved $14 billion in military assistance to Israel on an emergency basis. This is over three times more than the United States gives Israel every single year. All the U.S. has to do is tell Israel, we're not going to send you them aid. We're not going to send you more munitions that you're using to attack the people in Gaza right now. You depend on us for weaponry, intelligence, military, diplomatic support, including support at the United Nations to veto every resolution the Security Council puts forward for a ceasefire or to protect civilians. You won't get any of that anymore unless you stop attacking civilians in Gaza murdering at this point 10,000 civilians, about 4,000 of whom are children. The U.S. could get Israel to stop in an instance, could prevail upon Israel to enter into a ceasefire. Now, I don't agree with that. I don't believe Israel would just by because they pressure them, but I do believe that it would have an effect. The bottom line is, of course they could do something. Of course there's more options, as, as um, McLeod points out. Sanction them, right? Do any number of things that you would otherwise do to other countries. But of course, that's never going to happen unless it becomes too costly for the U.S. government to continue to maintain this lie, which becomes our responsibility as Americans. Now, let's not forget, as Amnesty International has made very clear on the 20th, and they, this is just five cases just between the 7th and the 12th. In each of the cases, they, vi they violated international law. Per the, per, this is their investigation. Failing to take feasible precautions to spare civilians, carrying out indiscriminate attacks that failed to distinguish between civilians and military, or by directly carrying out attacks that targeted civilians. This is not up for debate. Their investigation found this, and many other groups have made it clear, and the evidence is undeniable. Here's the United Nations directly on October 24th of this year. Amid increasingly dire uh, humanitarian situation in Gaza, the Security Council uh, tell Security Council Hamas attacks cannot justify collective punishment to Palestinian people. 
You just can't ignore this stuff. I'm not saying I blindly believe what the UN says. My point is, historically, the UN is the group that they use to just to, to basically discern whether or not things are, are, are the human rights groups and so on. And half the time they're lying for some bigger power. But right now they're simply going, you're wrong about that. You can't keep saying because Hamas, therefore it's their fault. Even though the U.S. keeps saying that. The U.N. chief says Gaza deaths show something wrong with Israel tactics. Like, what I need you to hear, see on this, guys, these are people that I do not believe for a second, one, care about civilian lives, two, care about Gaza at all, or three, would ever normally be doing this if it wasn't this blatantly obvious. This, to me, shows you their own power beginning to recede. They're own. They're realizing, oh my God, like they can't keep doing this. We're all going to lose control. We're all going to go to jail. That's what I believe this is. So it's think about the milk toast statement of something wrong with their tactics. That's what this is what you're getting because it's so obvious. You know, the real point would be they're committing genocide and murdering civilians in plain daylight. But that becomes there's something a bit off with what they're doing. That's scathing in the reality we understand because the UN is not on the side of the people, in my opinion. But that is still what you're getting. And all they're simply saying is that they're saying that there's something wrong, clearly, because they're killing a lot of civilians. I guess they, they hit the wrong button and they hit genocide on accident, right? Oops. I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of pass you're getting them by acting like they made a calculation error. But we the point is, we all see it. Here is Macron. Basically, you know, the reality of the double standards here of every circumstance. And this is what he's saying about Russia. International law is not respected. Bomb. Explosive weapons are used. Sound familiar? Densely populated area zones. Our inhumanitarian workers are targeted. And the law of war is not optional. Right. Protection of civilians. Protection of civilian infrastructures is non-negotiable. Unless you're Israel, I guess. Those are those betray those rules or be held accountable before the international courts. I agree. Working in favor of international humanitarian law, condemning violations punishing its perpetrators, contribute to preservation of our planet. We are also committed in the fight against impunity of the perpetrators of crimes committed against humanitarian workers, you know, like the United Nations, and as they continue to bomb them. Here he is, meeting Macron, best buddies. Okay, so the point is, those are blatant general statements, right? There's not some caveat that removes that absolutist statement he just gave. The point is, he didn't mean it then, he doesn't mean it now. And quite frankly, I think we can prove that most of the things they were leveling against Russia weren't happening. That's not to say that Russia is not capable or would or has done those things. In the circumstance of this war in Ukraine and Russia, we prove most of that were fabrications or lies. And that's, again, not because I would think they wouldn't do it, but because I think it's tactical. Because Russia is not stupid enough to be on such full display or get trapped into these things by some blatant, obvious proxy war. My point is clearly... Even if you think those things happened in Russia, how can you pretend they're not happening now? Doesn't Russia say, well, the Azov movement has all of their people, so we have to go after the Azov movement because they're clearly holding all of Ukraine hostage. So by the same logic, they could indiscriminately bomb Ukraine and go, well, the Ukrainians could have left. They could have all gotten out of the way. It's the Nazis that are holding them. But we all should laugh at how stupid that is. But it's the exact same logic the Ben Shapiro's of the world are shoving down your throat. Now, Times of Gaza points out the Israeli aggression on Gaza Strip per today. 10,812 Palestinian civilians, including 4,412 children, 2,918 women, 667 elderly, while 27,000 are injured. 
but but they're doing the best they can to avoid civilian casualties. 4,000 children in one month. I, I challenge you to find any other field of war that we can even, I've never even heard that before. I'm talking in the time frame is the point, not all said and done, but in one month, in a small, I forget, there was 25 miles, I think, in this, just the Gaza Strip. This, as I've said many times, guys, and I said this right in the beginning because I already saw how this was playing out. This will be remembered for a thousand years. This is going to be one of those things that we talk about way down the line. You know, like we talk about these horrific wars and it's it's not just because of how big it is or because of how impactful it is. It's because of the, the, the trauma, the the sheer violence in such a small area in such a long period of, or in a short period of time. It's just unparalleled, guys. And that's the point. It is horrific. It's the disgusting. So for a very long time, we will, this will be, when you look up the word genocide, this is what will show. That's the kind of point I'm making. And that's why they ultimately, you know, you could argue they, even if this was a complete setup, false fly, whatever you want to think, they shot themselves in the foot by doing this because it effectively shifted the focus, which it should be because of what Israel's always been doing. But nonetheless, they did this themselves. Numerous bodies scatter across the Al-Shifa street. So we're talking about the hospital, right? Al-Shifa hospital, northern Gaza Strip, where Israeli planes have bombed a group of civilians. Now, not, this isn't the hospital. What I'm talking about is the area. And I, that's why I believe it's connected to, because they've been bombing all around. They bombed the hospital roof. They took out the solar panels. They're effectively trying to get, they, and there are doctors that tell you they're not leaving. They can't. They've got babies in incubators. They've got people on ventilators. Multiple doctors have testified that the Al-Shifa hospital has no Hamas presence whatsoever, not below, not above, nowhere. Of course, they could be lying, but explain for me why doctors from London, New York would be saying that who aren't there and who are recently there or who were there last year and so on. The point is, this is grotesque. There's horrifying realities of what's happening to people on the ground. People just don't, the, the international media just doesn't care. Al Jazeera says, Israeli prime minister says, or member of parliament, excuse me, says that any photojournalist, any photojournalist who they claim took part, took photos, videos of what happened on October 7th will be added to the elimination list. Is that what happens in a democracy, even in wartime? Like, understand how how obscene, how unprecedented this all is. Like, even the narrative, like, look, there are embedded journalists all over the place. There's in journalists embedded in Syria with open extremists or ISIS or Al-Qaeda for that matter. So what the argument is, is these people who were embedded in Gaza as journalists, and you could argue that they're not impartial. I disagree, quite frankly. But my point is that ultimately they're there. Then this begins to happen and they just go along as a journal. That's what journalists do. But what it just like with Ukraine and just like with the Azov movement, murdering any journalist that went afoul of their narrative, it's all this is the same thing. They're trying to make them out to be some, some terrorist supporting entities. Now, I'm not saying I know they're not. But I, what I do know is if we're pretending this is some kind of de democracy or that they protect the rights of journalists or free speech or the things they pretend, well, these people at very least would be given a trial, not just murdered as terrorists. I mean, under the, I mean, my finer point, the bottom line is this is pretty grotesque. And the Palestinian Ministry of Health says Gaza's blood bank service has been put out of service. Why? Because they targeted it. Or is it Hamas? It doesn't even matter anymore. They are deliberately and systematically taking out every needed service. Everything they're doing is not about Hamas. It's the most obvious thing I think I've ever covered. 
And Sarah Abdallah points out, and plenty of others have as well, that Egypt was trying to bring in water because they need it. And guess what? Israel bombed it. Literally bombed a truck full of water. They're deliberately depriving the population of water, which is a crime against humanity, but also fuel, which is the most important part of all this because they know how important that is to make most every part, other part of the aid actually effectively helping people. Now, this is just a video of the bombing of another hospital, the Indonesian hospital, which you've already mentioned. But, you know, I guess apparently no matter what, they're in every one of these locations. Now, we're going to get into the human shield point right now, right after these videos. Here is an unbelievable amount of bombing in this hospital. This is, these are just there's it's just there's so there where these locations are are full of civilians now and and just you know for for those as always who rightly question it maybe they're lying maybe it's maybe they're all maybe it's all a big manipulation by Hamas well there's no way to explain this. It's the same thing I keep pointing out that I won't ever get an answer for from people like Ben or anybody else. Or one of the other points is when I say, well, doesn't it matter that they're bombing locations where those people are that you're demanding they return, even though they refuse that twice? In what scenario do you see them ever coming home? If the point is we don't deal with terrorists, but we're going to bomb until what, they're gone? Like it just nothing. They won't answer this question because it reveals that these people don't want their own people back. And that's what we're here. The people in Israel are furious about this. And that's what we keep showing you. They're protesting. They're demanding that they have a ceasefire to bring their families home. And they're going, we don't deal with terrorists. So basically, the Israeli government is bucking everybody, including their own people, to do what they want. What do you know? Exactly how I told you they actually operate. The United Nations uh, Refugee Agency in Gaza says many newborn babies are calling the United Nations Refugee, Palestinian Refugee Agency shelters in Gaza their first home. Right. Babies are being born. Shouldn't surprise you because this is the problem. People act like this is some shit. You know, there is two point five million people, half of them already half of them children and more are being born. So that then that means that there's a lot of pregnant women. There's a lot of every kind of person here. As they point out, around four thousand six hundred displaced pregnant women right now. There's almost there's four thousand six hundred pregnant women who are being forced to walk miles up and down these streets, avoid bombings, sleep in the street. If you're a woman out there and you think it's all Hamas, tell me how that makes sense. Are they suddenly now pregnant women that have no rights because they're present in an area where they where Israel created Hamas inside of this open air prison? Or the fact that let's just say they blindly support Hamas. Does that then make them no more le- less of a civilian? Does that make the infant inside of them less of a civilian? 380 newborns living in their facilities right this moment require medical attention. So when they go, you have to move, anybody that stays is a terrorist, they're telling you that 380 newborn babies in need of medical assistance, many of them in incubators, are terrorists. No different than saying Palestine never existed or that everything is a terrorist like Laura Loomer would tell you. Those 380 newborn babies are not there by choice. You don't get to blame them because you claim somebody else voted somebody in a decade ago or more. Which, by the way, is not even the full picture, which I've said many times. 
Well, they say, as uh, this is regarding the pregnant woman as well, as you can see, sitting here and being pregnant isn't easy. They report 50,000 pregnant women in Gaza. So this, this point was in their facilities, right? That's their, just in their United Nations facilities for the Palestinian Refugee Agency, 4,600 displaced. What they're telling you, according to, uh, this is the United Nations uh, Population Fund, 50,000 pregnant women. Take, reflect on that for a second. 50,000 with over 180 giving birth every single day. So that was just one example of one location with 380 newborn babies, or rather their collection of locations. What they're telling you from the larger group for the, the United Nations Population Fund is that every day right now, 180 babies. Are, okay, let, me, let me do this really quickly. Check this out. This is going to send this point home for people that have a soul and a heart. Right, so they've been round the clock bombing for thirty days, give or take. Right, so if we're talking one hundred and eighty babies born every single day, that has been five thousand four hundred babies that have been born in Gaza since they've been bombing every moment for thirty days straight. Five thousand four hundred infants born within this last month who are now there, and probably most of them have been killed so far. That I don't, I don't get any any happiness in saying that. It makes me sick to my stomach that we're even allowing this, but that's the reality. I'd love to hear Ben's, Ben Shapiro tell me why those 5,000 babies who were born are somehow justifiable military targets. This father describes the struggle his wife experienced giving birth while sheltering at this facility, and many of them don't even have the ability to be in these facilities. Many of them fled because they were told to and are now stuck somewhere where they have no access to water, food, electricity, shelter, anything. We've already been told by, I think, Associated Press, most of these people are sleeping in the streets. The United Nations Geneva points out, thousands of children killed cannot be collateral damage. Pushing a million people from their homes and concentrating them in areas without adequate infrastructure is literally forced displacement. That is a crime, no matter how you spin this. Severely limiting food, water, and medicine is the verbatim definition of collective punishment. So they're, according to the UN Geneva, they are committing collective punishment and forced displacement. But the U.S. says that they will figure that out later afterward and come back to you. Decensored News points out more than 40% of the dead in Gaza are children. This is per The Guardian on the 5th. The UN said this, with 3,900 reported child victims, another 1,250 missing. This is on the 5th. As we just read you the numbers, it's gone way up. The point is these numbers are obviously catastrophic. I believe even the, what was it? The I think it was the United Nations later said 62% of are women and children. In this case, they're saying, so 40% on the 5th were all children. This is a, 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 a sad two-minute clip where they're saying, I dream of becoming a, a doctor, becoming a teacher, becoming an engineer. These are all Palestinian children, assuming that they make it out alive. Philip Proudfoot points out, people need to keep putting this in perspective. It is the largest killing of UN workers who are supposed to be protected under international law in any conflict ever. Make sure you don't miss the enormity of that and showing you how a staggering this is that they don't acknowledge this. I've only seen one mention of this and it was by accident by Wolf Blitzer when she told him about it. They And even when she a woman brought it up to the State Department, they skipped right over it. You know why? Because there's no way to make this make sense within their narrative. There is no way to defend this and that's why I keep harping on it. The UN must name the perpetrator, Israel. 
Israel killed them. They did not perish. They were murdered. And the reason he's saying that is because even as they call this out, and even as they have in select moments made it clear that this is due to Israel's bombing, as I think we all know. But nonetheless, they still, this person, the spokesperson for United Nations says, a solemn and profoundly sad moment at the UN Geneva, this was on the 7th, honoring all of the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency colleagues killed in Gaza. At this point, at th this was two days ago, it was 89. 89. They stand up and have a moment of silence. But again, they did not perish. Okay, the word perished. I mean, I guess you could always apply these in certain contexts, but they didn't just suddenly die. They were murdered. They were bombed by Israeli airstrikes. And they know this. Everybody there knows this. And this is what they've said explicitly, both the UN, Geneva, and the human rights group, uh, Palestinian group. They've said this. It's very clear. The point is, again, the largest killing of UN workers in any conflict ever. It's just unbelievable. Now, the same Palestinian agency in the United Nations is saying this has been a painful month. In just one month, it's now up to 99 Almost 100 UN staff members have been killed. They are among 10,000 people killed since the beginning of the war. And lastly, the, direct, the or the director or the commissioner, I think, I forget the term. Uh, no, it's commissioner. Oh, it is. It's commissioner of the, of the, so the commissioner of the Human Rights Palestinian Refugee Agency says, I was in Gaza last week for the first time since the war started. I visited, and well, rather the ongoing genocide in the occupation, but he said he visited the school the United Nations school that was sheltering thousands of people, the very same school that they bombed, the very same school that they say, if you don't leave, we're going to bomb it again. And they can't leave. It was heartbreaking. He says children used to learn and laugh in this school today. They plead for a piece of bread and a sip of water. I just, if this is the United Nations making it clear that they're torturing children. And let's not forget, even Reuters reported at least six people were killed in at least one of these Israeli airstrikes on the United Nations schools on October 17th. And not a word from the United Nations or from 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 Israel, from the United States. Now, Ben Shapiro, well, first, Piers Morgan points out the appalling images and accounts of what innocent Israelis suffered on October 7th are utterly, utterly heartbreaking. And they are, especially when you find out that many of them died because of the IDF indiscriminately killing them. But it says, and so are the appalling images of and accounts of what innocent Palestinians have suffered since then. If you disagree with any part of this, you have no humanity or moral compass. Now, I agree with that, in fact. I don't quite frankly think Piers even agrees with that. I've seen his belligerent statements up until this point. Regardless, that is a fair statement. We need to be able to care about both. And it, let's put it this way. Not, the game of both sides is how they try to scare people away, which there are two sides to this. But the point is any civilian anywhere. If you, don't, if you can't care about civilians, no matter where they are, then you're a disgusting human being. And here's an example of that. Ben says, agreed. Both are the fault of Hamas. Well, we literally just went through the human rights lawyers, the United Nations, the rapporteurs. Yeah, they're all on the same page. Ben, you're an idiot and you're wrong. <laughs> That's, they didn't say that. But this is grotesquely wrong, and you know that you're wrong. You can't just pretend it's Hamas's fault as they bomb UN schools. That's just grotesque, and that makes you a bad person. But Omar makes a great point here. Funny how decades of Israeli oppression and murderous violence against Palestinians doesn't make Israel responsible for the Hamas attacks. Oh. Yeah, see, for logic going both ways, right? But a Hamas attack after that makes it responsible for Israel's murder of thousands of Palestinian children. What a moral and intellectual gem you are. Right, so this, there's no debating this, which is why he didn't respond. It's just simply applying your logic both ways. 
well, Ben would then go on to try to make some mental gymnastic argument about why this is not an occupied ter territory, despite every group anywhere that matters saying, yes, it is, or that they've carried out open genocide, even though every human rights group in the United Nations have always said, yep, it's an apartheid. And yep, they are. You just, you're, you're running from the truth, Ben. But the point is that they have conducted open genocide and, and we're well, it's just, you know, if you don't like the word crimes against the Palestinian people. So if the logic is that because of the Hamas attack that everything Israel does is now justified, well, then that means the same thing, that Hamas was justified in acting because of what they did to them. Now, I don't agree with that logic. It's too simplified for me. But the point at the end of the day is under the Geneva Conventions, as you well know, they have a right to armed rebellion. End of story. Now, here is the important part about how this is, how we're being played with even the excuse. So again, don't miss the point that the excuse doesn't even apply, even if it was true. That's important because there's no reality in which simply saying that they have people there or that they are holding people, then it just removes any accountability for how you then bomb those areas. But so let's just say for sake of conversation that it did and that having proving that Hamas was using human shields somehow then allowed you to bomb civilians. Well, let's find out if that is even actually happening. The Jerusalem Post writes, or rather the ICC said that they put the burden on Israel to prove Hamas uses human shields. This is from October 31st. So what this means is the International Criminal Court standing up and making a big statement and saying, look, you don't get to just use this narrative. That's what I've been saying. Nobody's investigating. Nobody's going in these areas and going, here's the proof that Hamas was there. Nope, not even with the Jabalia refugee camp. Nobody has proven anything. They said, we don't even know if he's there. Then it just became, we got him. Okay, who was he? What's he look like? Show me his body. None of that's happening. Well, I'm sure there's an excuse for it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're hiding it. The point is, none has been proven to this point. None. And yet, every time the U.S. speaks, they go, well, they're bombing Hamas. And, well, they're bombing Hamas. What, what happened to your in, in, invasive uh, investigation process where you look at every aspect of it, and then you make an analysis? Well, you've clearly already made an analysis, as Sam points out, that they are, even though you won't stay. It's embarrassing. But they're telling you that you have to prove that. You don't just get to state that and move forward. That's what they're doing, though. That's important. So the onus is on them to prove that. And I promise you they never will because I don't think it's happening. But even then, they don't have evidence for it, so they won't show it because ultimately they have to then prove that every one of these locations is a Hamas human shield location. And I can prove to you that's not true. And they know that because they're bombing UN locations. But this is an article from uh, Al Jazeera from uh, 2018 saying the fallacy of Israel's human shields claims in Gaza. Now, obviously, this is not today, so you could easily argue that since the 2018 conversation, if you take this as face value, that they've then gone on to do that. But the point is that there's an ongoing, it's a continuous process where they make these allegations, nobody ever proves it, and yet what Israel does openly is on the record human shields. But first, desperately trying to justify the killing of unarmed protesters, Israel once again uses the human shields mantra. It says, it has become part of a macabre ritual. Each week, thousands of Palestinians stride towards the fence surrounding a small swath of land in which they have been imprisoned for years as Israeli snipers pick their victims and shoot. Now, this used to be something that nobody barely paid attention to, but it happened constantly. What was their argument then? Why are you shooting an unarmed child on the other side of a protected fence? Is that is that are they threatening you? Even then, if you the point, this is where we get into the argument that simply by having people there, whether teenagers or not, that went of their own accord because they believe this is a protest, 
and then you shoot them where they're not threatening you, how does that then become human shield use because you shot somebody with no justification? That means you're murdering people and claiming that they only got murdered because they're present. Well, that's the whole point. That's what they're doing right now. It says, since March 30th, 132 Palestinians have been killed, and over this is 2018, over 13,000 have been injured. This is not new. This happens all the time. The only difference in this current situation is Hamas actually had a success in breaking in and having and, and carrying out their military operations. And yes, some of them committed crimes. But it says they and they have courageously protested the effects of Israel's ongoing military siege on Gaza. Back to the 2018 point. That's what they're doing. To some, the Palestinian march looks like su- looks suicidal because they know they're going to get shot, even though they're not armed. But to Palestinians, and this is the, por- the, part of, the point I've been making for a long time and why I think what's happening is about this, even though they know that they're going to get attacked, as they always have been, it's the ultimate act of peaceful resistance in their mind. Because they've tried. Every time they, BDS, you're a terrorist. Protest, you're a terrorist. Okay, well, we take... Violent action, you're a terrorist. Okay, so we get the point. No matter what we do, we're a terrorist, so we might as well act within the law and take violent action, per the Geneva Conventions. The point, though, is that to them, the last possible act of peaceful resistance is standing out there and being shot. So the world just might pay attention. Malnutrition, lack of drinking water, daily electricity outages, massive unemployment, and extreme poverty are not abstract slogans for civilians that have participated in these demonstrations. So, week in and week out, they march toward the fence in hopes that the world will hear their anguish and some country, some leader, or even some movement will support their cause and help them break the siege. Not October 7th forward, but the siege that's always been there. But each week, Israel's trying hard to push a different narrative. The Israeli military has been disseminating on social media images and videos of young children at the protests. Which, yeah, there's plenty of videos of families going out there, and they're not, they're not going to the front area where they might get shot, but they even get shot where they are anyway. The point is, they're all going out there to protest peacefully, not in an armed rebellion, on the other side of a protected fence while they're behind bunkers on the other side of that fence. So why would they ever believe they would get shot? Think about that. And then they get shot, and they say, oh, human shield. It's just, it's just this backward, demented art vision of this whole situation. And then the reality is they already live in an occupied open air prison. So the point is they're, they, they're, they know they can get shot and killed and raped and murdered and displaced and removed from their home in the middle of the night every single night. So what's the difference of going out and standing here? You can get shot anywhere, guys. And they know that. And they do. Now it says one short clip plays a lullaby interpreting the sound of gunfire and rhetorically asks, where are the children of Gaza today? That sound familiar? Remember that, that ridiculous video they made about the 40 beheaded babies that we now know isn't true? That I even, uh, I didn't think I was going to use this, but let me see if I've got it real still. Oh yeah, I think I've got it right here actually. As we speak about that. There's a article from, which one is it? Here we go. Inside Business Insider. <clears throat> IDF says it won't back up its claim. And I said it earlier, but I figured I'd show you since I mentioned it twice now. It won't back up its claim that Hamas decapitated babies in Israel. Why? Oh, it's just disrespectful to the dead. To what? To, To back up the claim? You're not showing us anything. To simply go, yes, we agree that happened. That is disrespectful. We'll tell that to literally every person in your government. Or everybody everywhere, apparently, who's towing this line. The point is, guys, that shifted from we saw it 
We all know it. And then, oh, we didn't see it though, but we heard. And then that becomes the idea of going, we won't investigate. Then every person walks it back, including CNN apologizing twice. People that said they saw it turn out they didn't. And then they go, well, we don't know. And then, for, then the secondarily it became, we can't show it on Twitter because they'll censor it, even though we can clearly see that's not true. And then this. This is what it looks like to lie. Guys are lying in, in real time. Include that for you. So. And again, the point was they put out that, that video showing, I know your children can't see this, but parents can with all the cartoons and the pink background and saying, you know, the 40 beheaded babies, that, that's, that's the lie. They're still towing. Same propaganda then. After showing children amid the protesters, it then displays the word here, as in here is where the children are. Yeah, well, you're shooting them. So I don't get why you bringing them somewhere is that, that you are the ones shooting them. <laughs> it's the same thing they're pulling today. Such videos are used as the ultimate proof that Palestinians are deploying children as human shields. It's not, it's not though. That, that's, not how, that's not the reality. I'll show you the reality next, after the next point. But it says Israel's human shield propaganda has also been applied on civilian adults. Think about that. Following international outrage, the slaying of a 21-year-old who was killed while treating an injured protester, right? So you've got a 21-year-old who's going out to help somebody that they already shot. Israel then goes on to say, Hamas uses Palestinian paramedics as human shields. Okay, so my point I'm making here is if that's all they have to go on, which is what they're doing, the collective idea that simply because they're all present together, therefore they're using them. Why wouldn't they just get out of the way? Well, because you're an uninformed person and they can't leave Gaza. <laughs> That's why. The point is that they're not using paramedics. The paramedics are helping people that are injured by their shooting. And then if they shoot the paramedic, they go, oh, they used them as human shield or just because they're there. This is the flimsy narrative being used. I could go a hell of a lot more in this room. Let's not forget on top of that, that the United Nations, as Roberts discussed, as we've already talked about in past debunking articles that did the investigation. But again, this was more than a decade ago and, and argued that they did not have any evidence that they were using human shields. So on, this whole process has been like this. And to this very day, we only get told this or get shown broad points like this to say, see, this is what they're doing. We all know that if they had evidence it was happening, it would be paraded around everywhere right now. So. On that note, let's talk about what happens in Israel. The open secret, the obvious reality. Like, where are all the uh, mainstream, as I'm going to show you, Guardian, Reuters, every one of them pointing this out back then. So why suddenly are they so quiet about it? Because they're not really honest journalists. That's why. 2013, Palestinian children tortured, used as shields by Israel per the United Nations. Reuters. I don't have respect for any of these groups because of how often they tow lines. But if you wanted a better source for the way that normies perceive this, it's, there's, no, there's no higher source. The United Nations, reported by Reuters, says that Palestinian children are being tortured and used as human shields. The United Nations human rights body accused Israel forces on Thursday of mistreating Palestinian children, including by torturing those in custody. We know this happens. And using others as human shields. Simple as that. Here's the Guardian. 12 years old. The article, Israeli soldiers who used Palestinian boy, a nine-year-old, as human shield avoid jail. Oh, I guess they don't care about international law, apparently. Shocking. This was 2010. Defense for Children, of Inter children International, an international human rights group. Israel forces use five Palestinian children as human shields. One, an infant or a toddler, I guess, a very, very small child. That's 2023. May 18th, 
2023. Oh, but I guess we're we're only caring about one side of this. Got it. Well, let's go. In case you think those are biased, let's look to the Israeli human rights group. This one is from 2018. Israeli soldiers use Palestinian man as human shield during clashes in Jericho. That's Betselem. That's an Israeli human rights group. Here's another one. This is from 2017. Generally, human shields. Since the beginning of the occupation in 1967, Israeli security forces have repeatedly used Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip as human shields. I mean, do I really need to keep going? It's blatant. It's obvious. The Guardian, Reuters, everybody. So why aren't we talking about that? Ordering them to perform military tasks that risk their lives. A part of this policy, soldiers have ordered Palestinian civilians to remove suspicious objects from the roads, tell people to come out of their homes so the military can arrest them, to stand in front of soldiers while they later ladder shoot from behind them. Yeah, like we saw at the music festival, right? You see, the point is, this is not some anomaly. This is their stated policy. That's the point. Not, well, they are at the same location, literally holding and shooting from behind them. You know, an actual human shield. That's what we're talking about. Now, again, like I said, I can go much deeper and there's a lot to be pointed out. Maybe I'll do it in the future, but in the interest of just doing what I was telling you, here is the legal background, also 2017. Despite these prohibitions, and it goes over the fact that this is completely illegal, and we all know that, for a long time after the Second Intifada, after that began in September 2000, and especially during Operation Defensive Shield in April 20, 2002, Israeli soldiers routinely used Palestinian civilians as human shields by forcing them to carry out life-threatening tasks. It was also following a high court petition against this practice, which was filed by human rights organizations around the world in May 2002, that the IDF issued a general order prohibiting the use of Palestinians as a means of human shield against gunfire or attacks by the Palestinian side. So first of all, on the record, they put out a notice prohibiting their own policy. So on the record, they were using it at least till 2002. Now, it didn't stop there, obviously. The point is that right there, you can prove that they were doing so, knowing it was a violation of international law, as so did the rest of their allies. Nobody cared. Like, just because they go, okay, we'll stop. What about the entire time they've been using it? That's not how the law works. It does for people in these positions, right? Can I quit my job and sidestep any accountability, apparently, for powerful people? But no, they did it since their existence. So shouldn't there be decades worth of crimes to be? Yes, there should be, but not for people in power. But then it goes on to say, following the order, the use of human shields dropped sharply. However, the arms, the army did not construe as a human shield the use of Palestinians, provided they consented. Yeah, but obviously we know how the consent can be when you're living under a brutal occupation with the bed of a gun. But then it says to deliver a warning to a wanted person entrenched in a certain location. The army continued the widespread use of this practice, which they referred to as the neighbor procedure. Following another petition filed by human rights organizations, the High Court of Justice ruled that this practice, too, violated international humanitarian law and that this thus was illegal. And guess what they've never stopped doing? Both of them, quite frankly. But on the record, the neighbor procedure. Here is the Institute for Middle East Understanding, the neighbor procedure, Israel's use of Palestinian human shields from 2012. It's just, it's I, I, again, I, there's a lot to go over in this, but in your time, you guys can read these for yourselves. Here's Human Rights Watch. <clears throat> now, this one was, I'll just read it right here. It's easier. During military operations, Israeli soldiers routinely coerced Palestinian civilians, including children, to perform life-endangering acts that assisted military operations, the practice known as the neighbor procedure. Now, see, this is afterward, guys. 
The neighbor procedure was the secondary thing they did. And what they're reporting is that that was also violating law and also put children's lives at risk. It violated fundamental international humanitarian law principle of civilian immunity, violated multiple provisions of the Fourth Geneva Convention, and recklessly exposed civilians to danger. Well, if they don't care about the Geneva Conventions, as Sam points out, well, then why do they care? And on May 7th, in response to a petition by seven local human rights organizations, this is also the Human Rights Watch, the IDF informed the High Court of Justice that it would immediately prohibit its forces from using civilians as hostages or human shields. The IDF also committed to investigate the use of the neighbor procedure, so this is afterward, and to clarify to commanders that it could not be used in circumstances that might physically endanger civilians. Despite repeated requests, the IDF did not make a copy of the order or results of the investigation available to human rights groups, which means it didn't even happen, guys, because we're watching it play out. After the death of Ahmad Abu Mohsen, while being forced to assist IDF soldiers in a military operation in Tubas on August 14th, the same seven organizations petitioned the High Court to ban the procedure's use. On October, excuse me, August 18th, the High Court issued a temporary injunction preventing the use of the neighbor procedure until a final decision was made. At the time of writing, Reports of the procedure, use continued. It's as simple as that. They don't care. The point is, after all of this, after being called out, being censured for it, they pretend they stop and they keep doing it. Call it something else, do it a little different way. Then it comes again. They go call it out again. They keep doing it. Then they bring it all the way to the point to where they, they issue a temporary injunction and they can prove they just kept doing it anyway. These are what criminals look like, guys. And let's not forget, I've talked to, I've, I wrote an article myself about this. The Brigadier General, him, the, who reported on the record that they were ordered to shoot children. In case you forgot, it's also on the record. a small child right there. Why the Sirton? Yes! Ben Shalzona. Son of a whore, he calls him. Hey, the Sirton, in the Tarot of Fanatoto. Better still on the Of course I filmed it. Wow. Right, so here's the point. They shoot a child in the head, people come out to move him, and there's your human shields. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to anybody? It shouldn't, because they're lying. What a legend. Right. This is what you're dealing with. So the reality, guys, obviously Israel uses human shields. On the record. It is their policy. And even as they've been called out for it, they then do it anyway. And then you've got the other side of this argument, where their UN has found no evidence they're doing so. The doctors that are there tell you that they're not present where they tell you they are. And they're indiscriminately killing anybody who's even within reach of their munitions. And yet we're the terrorists and we're the racists, right? Well, Wolt Kreitz points out an interesting thing that I thought was worthy of investigation. Just curious, they ask, how many Hamas members does the IDF think exist in Gaza? 
because it seems like they believe that number to be 2 million plus, right? And he's making a very fine point here. Well, there's 2.5 million people in Gaza, half of which are children. Clearly, there's just no differentiation here. They just are all, and look, that's what they tell you. If you really listen, we're laying out leaflets, which by the way, human rights groups have already claimed that doesn't, that does not make it legal that say, get out of the way, or if you don't, you're a terrorist. And even if they see them or not, or they tell one person in the street, which Amnesty said happened, and then bomb an entire residential area, it doesn't remove the legalities. But what I'm saying is, in their statements, if they're telling you that they view them that way, or that if, as Ben and the rest of them would argue, that they're holding those hostages, therefore, as they've literally said, that makes them military targets, well, there you go. To them, anybody there is a military target, and that's the point. But that brought to my mind, well, how much, how many Hamas members actually exist? Well, here's one of the only things I could find on this, which is very telling to me. A senior IDF commander, this is from 2021, says Hamas has 30,000 men. This is the Times of Israel. 7,000 rockets, dozens of drones. So what's interesting, first of all, if this was not something that they believed to be the case or what they wanted you to think was the case, they wouldn't have written this article, right? And we know that based on the things we see today, where they go, well, we don't know. We can't trust Hamas's numbers. Well, they're clearly trusting this. But either way, it says a Hamas terrorist group ruling Gaza has replenished its arsenal since 2014, blah, blah, blah. According to the Israeli military estimates, Hamas has, and they, this is the numbers they're presenting. And it says the commander said, but they're saying 7,000 rockets. So the point is, this is being confirmed by them. That's what, that's, at least in the narrative. I can't confirm that's the reality, but this is being, as it says, according to the Israeli military estimates, and it goes over this information. So my point is, let's just take it for sake of argument. We're talking about 30,000 people. And and they've now killed 10,000 civilians, 4,000 children indiscriminately over this entire area. How do we pretend? And just so you can see this, by the way, first of all, just this tiny spot right there we're talking about, the red spot. And this this is just northern Gaza, by the way, the southern parts down there for the most part. Look at the areas we're talking about here. I mean, this is, that's attack. That is a war on Gaza. So explain for me, one, how we think even re, like logistically or resources, how we would pretend that Hamas has locations. I, I mean, you have to realize how how much this would mean. That they have instant weapons and, and tunnel and all this stuff set up in every one of these locations. And that they only have 30,000 people or 7,000 rockets. Are we really going to pretend that that's in just the north? Meanwhile, they bombed the south almost as much. My point is, I don't think mathematically that can even, that, that's obviously not only Hamas. A child could see that. And clearly, I think they're pretending that Hamas is a hell of a lot bigger than it actually is. And then, let's make sure we don't miss, and I've been using different source because it, there's a thousand pieces of material out there coming from their own writing, from their own statements, or the Wall Street Journal saying on the record that Avin Cohen says, yes, we created it on Hamas. Here's WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks, who has yet to been proven to show anything that is false, Israel actively supported Hamas. Actively supported. Patrick Henningsen follows up saying, because Tel Aviv loves an overly militant, radicalized terror threat, without it, Israel will be forced to conform to international norms. Right? Kazis belly, he means like the the instigation for a war. The point is, if they didn't have the argument that this belligerent terrorist entity was the reason they have to kill civilians, well, then they'd have to actually act within the law. Right. I mean, so, and then if we know that they did actively support them and they did create them, well, it becomes this justification. That's what he means. They are the reason they use to make these things happen. 
Now, here is the actual, this is from Jerusalem Online, which now is deleted. And this is what WikiLeaks was citing. Is This is what that link is right there. And just main, main point. First of all, Israel actively supported Hamas. But here's what it says. Many in the West Bank believe that Israel actively supports Hamas in its efforts to split the Palestinian nation and weaken the Intifada. That says shop owners in Jerusalem and Nablus claim that while the PLO members are secretly distributing leaflets for fear of the Israeli for- security forces, Hamas distributes its leaflets openly. It says, moreover, the American government wrote on the document, in spite of the many arrests, only a small number of Hamas leaders have been arrested. We believe that not only does Israel turn a blind eye on Hamas activity, but even supports it. When the Intifada began, official sources in Israel said that Hamas, quote, serves as a useful counterforce for the secular organizations loyal to PLO. Another claim that arises from the leak is that Israel sees the Palestinian economy another way to rule Gaza. Senior sources in Israel have approved a number of times to American embassy sources that they are planning to keep the economy in Gaza as low as possible, while always attempting to prevent a humanitarian crisis. Well, not today. But this is the same thing we see with foreign policy. Right, as we've seen admitted to, that it's just about keeping them in dire straits. Right, we don't want them to be able to build their own structures that can rival what we have. We want to be in control, so we keep Africa in its place. We keep the South in its place. We starve them. We keep them without resources. That's the reality of what they do. These are not good people fighting for freedom. And by the oh, here's a classified document. By the way, that's not unclassified, rather. That is, you know, going into the breakdown of Hamas. It's one of the documents coming out of this discussion, which you can read further if you want to investigate. But here's Israel, their official account on Twitter, saying the majority of people in Gaza live under the poverty line. Yeah, I guess if that's not their fault. But you, but, but you know who don't, or rather doesn't? Hamas leadership worth billions of dollars. Hamas isn't only stealing the money from Gaza, it's stealing the future of Gaza. Okay, well, let's ask how this makes sense. And there's, remember that picture, by the way, right there. We'll show you something about that in a second. Well, you know, obviously, if we just went over this, and the reality is WikiLeaks and everybody else, even Israel themselves, which I think I actually have like right here. Hold on. Yeah. You know, we already showed you this. This is from the Times, uh, Haaretz, actually. Mossad chief urged Qatar to continue Hamas financial aid. Here's what they posted right before the, uh, right after this started, but it was from a 2019 statement from Netanyahu. Anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of Palestinian state, which is what they pretend they always want, that's how dumb this is, right? Two-state solution. They've never wanted that. But to, to thwart the thing we pretend we want publicly, we have to support Hamas and transfer money to Hamas. And that means funds and resources and weaponry, as we've also had admitted to. So the point is that means we keep them in there to keep this destabilized and always point at them as the reason that we can't deal with them. We, they created that is the point. We ha- I mean, I've made this clear many times, but we have to digest that. This is the reality. To create, the, this is like using the Syrian rebels or whatever else and framing them as, the, they're, they're trying to destabilize this. Well, that's actually a little bit different, but using this entity and pretending it's their fault, even though they created it, funded it, and armed it to justify why they can never work with these terrorists, even though they're the ones creating the terrorists. That's U.S. foreign policy to a T. So, as Israel says, look at all these people that we funded, created, and put in place wonder why they're all so rich. Well, I think you clearly couldn't figure that out for yourself. But here is the interesting part about this. Now, I'm not suggesting that, look, and on top of that, first of all, the money and the resources that come in to this area, they don't just get dumped into Gaza. 
Like this is how wow, like terribly uninformed people are on this topic. Everything goes through Israel's control or through the Palestinian Authority, for that matter, which is also under Israel's control. To, to pretend like they just go, here's your shipment, and walk away. And Hamas goes, ha ha, we're taking it all. It's just dumb. This is doled out. The small percentage they actually get, the point being that most of it gets stolen by Israel, gets doled out by Israel and the PA. And yes, I'm sure in some case, Hamas would use some of that, but it's just such a blind lie. If they're billions of dollars in net worth, that's because it's coming from these, these entities, in my opinion. But the point is, New York Post comes out and says, Hamas leaders, staggeringly rich, you know, sta- towing these lines, which even if it's true, it's not the full picture. But somebody made a great point. AI generated, he argues, and then you lower the quality of the image. Good job. Well, he's claiming that when you manipulate, you can see this weird outline, and you really can't see that in the image itself when you look close enough. It just, it's, there's clearly something wrong there. Look at this, guys. This is the image shared by, by Israel. <laughs> okay. Look, look at the, look at the headline around these people. Look at this right here on his face. This has been edited. That's very clear to me, but here's the argument. And then it just makes it even clearer when you lower the resolution. Now, here's the point. Right away, they came out and said, nope, fake news. No, well, this is the image is not new, by the way. Viral photos of Hamas leaders accused of being AI fakes are actually just poorly upscaled images. Well, sure, why not? Right. So all they're saying is, oh well, they just they just tried to make it look like better resolution, and that it, that deceptively made it look like it was faked. Well, sure, I mean, certainly could be true, but let's also realize that it was shared by this guy, who is the very person who lied about the hospital bombing of Al-Ali, and, or rather, first told the truth and then lied, saying, no, no, it was a Hamas location, and that's why we bombed it. Delete! And it came out and said, no, no, it was Hamas that did it. Bad guy. These people are manipulators, guys. That's the point. Anyway, whether or not you think it's an AI image, I think the major point here for me is that this is not as simple as saying, well, Hamas took it all. And you want my honest opinion? I do believe they, they're, they're, this is how bad this entire operation has been. The clumsy, the, the chemical weapons allegation. I mean, they've been bad about this from the beginning. I don't know if that's by in, intentional or not. It certainly could be, but that's bad. And so if they have to fake that these people are all together and super rich, I mean, maybe that's not the, I don't know. I just don't. But I do know that it's not as simple as blaming only all Palestinians for what's going on here. Or by the way, why is it even their fault if Hamas is super rich and they're not? Remember, this, it's not as simple as saying they all voted. Not all of them even voted for them, if we even believe that was a legitimate election, which I still think is ridiculous to assume. But on top of that, it was 2006. They have not had an election since. People that they claim voted them in today were one year old when this even happened. That's embarrassing. And on top of that, it's not as simple as even saying that they're in control, as even right now they're pointing to the Palestinian Authority. I just think it, it's just so frustrating how uninformed a lot of people are on these topics. But Ben Shapiro says, well, well, first of all, Bernie Sanders says, Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's right-wing prime minister, and it's what we already pointed out, said yesterday that they would oversee Gaza for an indefinite period. And he simply goes, really? Should the U.S. fund support of a long-term military occupation? Well, you already are, buddy. Over an already battered and impoverished people? I think not. This is this game they play where like, they're currently not occupying Gaza. It's just these dumb games they play. It already is an occupation. It already has been for 75 years of all of Palestine per the United Nations. But aside from that weird game he's playing even there, 
Ben goes, well, Israel did try simply handing over the Gaza Strip to Palestinians in 2005. Not true. And Palestinians elected Hamas, which is also a very wild oversimplification, who promote, who promptly turned Gaza into the largest terror base in the world. Not true. Fundamentally, objectively not true. The largest terror base in the world, whatever that would mean, by the way, could easily be pointed out to be places like, I don't know, Al-Tamf or Idlib, controlled by the, the United States military, or any number of allied countries the U.S. and Israel openly work with. No, the idea of pretending it's the largest terror base is, is to pretend that every Palestinian is a terrorist. And that's just disgusting. What are your alternatives, precisely? Alternatives to what? Not indefinitely occupying a territory? Like these, 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 old, these absolutes just show how bad these people are. But here's a great point. At Foo writes, funny way of handing something over. Here you go. You can have it. But not the border, nor the imports, or the exports, or the coastline, or space. And the power and what in the water and it, come on, it's just so dumb. But the rest of it's yours, except communication lines. Oh, and no one can leave. <laughs> it's just like there's a reason they don't respond to this stuff because this is you can't argue against that. These people are not given the Gaza Strip when they don't control any part of it. You just put a fence around them inside of your occupation. Occupation. That's dumb. But Ahmed Abufal points out. The war of the free world should be against settler colonialism, racism, apartheid, supremacy, belligerent occupation, alien domination, and atrocity crimes, including genocide. Israel's 75-year-long aggression against the Palestinian people represents all three. The reason he's saying that? The Spectator Index writes, Israel's foreign minister tells the EU parliament that the war on Hamas is a war of the free world. This is just how they continue to frame this. Good versus evil. Free versus, this is 9-11 all over again. And then we should ask why those narratives were spun all the way then. Why Bush was parroting the same things. Because Israel was obviously then involved. This is just the same propaganda efforts. It's not working though. The war of the free world, you're with us or you're against us. I mean, they, they're tapping back into the year 2000. People are, or 2001. They're not paying attention to this stuff because it doesn't work. The war of the free world. They're simply trying to go NATO on this and pretend like it's everybody's war because apparently 30,000 people from an occupied territory are going to overtake the world if you let them take this or what? I mean, just it's such an illogical argument. Now, but he also points out something Benny Gantz admitted, which is what I think they continue to accidentally do, or they're just they're this belligerent. The war cabinet minister, Benny Gantz, who is one of the people on the record that we've played from you from the member of parliament in Ireland. It says we will never let them have a state. You know, they're all animals or cockroach, whatever his statement was. It was belligerent and it was wildly racist. But he says, says the war here is for our existence and for Zionism. Yep, that's what it is. Zionism. What he means is the existence of their Zionist agenda. And there's no limitations on the duration of the current ground operation. Oh, there's no limitations? <laughs> yeah, there really are. It's called international law, but he's being clear. They don't have limitations because the U.S. said there is no red line for you. But he says, indeed, this war is for Zionism to conclude its settler colonial project, which is premised on the elimination of the indigenous Palestinians. But no, it's not about Jewish existence. Zionism is racism. Zionism does not equal Judaism. And this is the primary point. And this is just a, a United Nations document. Any doctrine of racial differentiation or superiority is sufficiently false, morally con con uh, condemnable, socially unjust, and dangerous. We all know this, though. They just pretend like that's not what we're doing, even though we all know that is exactly what they're doing. And we can prove it. 
as we should remember. Uh, Zionism is racism. Israel cannot be both. Israel is either a racist Jewish state or it's a democratic state for everybody. And that's what I would like Israel to be. I'd like a democratic solution, one state with equal rights for um, uh, all its inhabitants. Uh, your organization, Human Rights Watch, issued a report last year uh, about Israel, mm -hmm. and the conclusion was it is an apartheid state. And, and there are four major human rights groups in the last two years mm -hmm. who issued similar reports reached the same conclusion. Israel mm -hmm. is an apartheid state. So apartheid is racism. Apartheid is discrimination. But Israel is the only member of the United Nations that I know which is officially racist. And I say this because of the uh, July 2018 nation state law, which says mm. the Jews have a unique, unique right to self-determination mm -hmm. in Israel. Unique means exclusive. Yes. It means Arabs have no right to self-determination. Mm -hmm. It means even if Arabs became a majority, mm -hmm. they would still have no right to self-determination. Mm. So but most certainly Zionism is a, um, is a racist ideology mm -hmm. and it is largely responsible for the Anakba that has unfolded throughout the last century mm -hmm. and continues today. All right. So the point, obviously, is this is a manipulation. It's really about their agenda and it always has been. And it's obvious, right? Here, here's one that they've already deleted. This is what keeps happening. Uh, well, and this is here. I'll just show you this first, technically. So here's what he. This is what this individual who is, uh, what is it? Oh, it's uh, show his actual. Hold on. It did. I just don't have his information. It was. He's a part. He's. A, I think it was the UN representative. If I remember correctly. Oh, it is right here. The oh, the initial spokesman, uh, Hebron. Uh, what was it? I guess they just the spokesman for. He's a representative of Israel. The Lion of Zion Award. But he says, Israel is back in Gaza, and we are here to stay in our ancestral land and our ancient beaches. Ancient beaches? Aren't all beaches ancient? The point, though, is that what he's trying to say is that we now are here and we're not going anywhere. Which, as I said, because they were clearly always going to let them come back, as Netanyahu promised, right? And then they delete, he deleted it. You know why? Because it shows you something that we're not supposed to see. And this person said the same. Anyone who thinks that what is going on in Gaza is not about annexation is completely deluded. Israeli troops will never leave Gaza. The West watches, witnesses, brutal ongoing illegal land grab, occupation, dislocation, dispossession of a whole people and does nothing. That's why he deleted it and posted this. Israel must defeat Hamas, govern Gaza, resettle Jews there, and ensure a decent life for people and Arabs. Like, think about how insulting this is. So you literally say what you mean. And then you go, oh, but for everybody, we mean kind of at the same time. Like, it's just gross, man. These people are in real time being told, like somebody tapped him and said, that's, remove that. That's what I believe. Or, or I mean, how else do you explain this? Because the narrative, what he said first and what he says here are not the same thing. And we keep seeing this happen because they know what they're doing is wrong. 
WikiLeaks already made this clear, as I've shown you, full document right here, the verified document from the Israeli Ministry of Intelligence. This is the leaked plan we keep talking about. Every tenet of this plan has because is taken, has happened, or is, is in the process of happening. The shifting everybody to the, uh, to the south, and then the pushing them into Egypt. And it's, it's all happening in real time. I keep telling you, this what's currently happening is going to be used to try to justify that the only thing they can do is keep them safe by moving them out of the way. It's gross. It's wrong, and it's, it's illegal. And we're going to show you something at the end today about this. But here's one of the important clips, I think, about the idea of people just going, why don't they just get out of the way? Well, if the, okay, remember the beginning. Well, Hamas is making them all stay. Well, that's obviously been shown to be false because they're telling you that's false. But it's not just about that. It's, it's not just about whether they're being told or threatened or people don't want to give up on their own territory for however many times this has been. Here's what he says. He says, me here. Where would we go? He says, you are now in Al-Shati refugee camp. He said, this is my land. I was born here and I will remain here. I'm not leaving for anyone and we will die here. I'm not leaving to, to Zionists. And they all cheer. I'm not leaving it to the Zionists or any other person. This is our land. This is our land. And we will stay in it as long as we are alive. Either with our dignity on the land, with our heads held up high up, our body parts under the ground, or our body parts under the ground. No matter what happens to us, no matter the threats, no matter the bombs, no matter the destruction, no matter the homes destroyed, we are now in the streets. We will remain on our land. That's the point, guys. Now, this may not make sense to the average person that doesn't realize, like you may, to them, they've already had everything taken from them, right? Their homes, their possessions, their livelihoods, their, their ability to be sustained, their, their self-determination. In many cases, their families, their children, their extended families, everything, their, their, their ability to feed and, and, and quench their thirst. So what do they do? They're just going to run? No, the point is now they're in many people's minds, and I understand it. This is the kind of person that I am. You've taken everything from me. I am not going to give up this last thing, my dignity, my belief in that this is mine, my territory, my homeland. And, is, and even if you think he's wrong, the point is this truly is why so many of them are staying. And, and so many others because they've already been bombed and hurt and can't move. And yet they're bombing all of them. Now, in regard to some of the manipulations, I think this is a really interesting development. As we've already seen, many videos come out and people argue they're manipulated and so on, even though many of them have already been released and are still maintaining their story that we were treated kindly. Some of them that don't have some other sibling that's still being held. They're simply going, well, they gave us food. They treated us kindly. They didn't. Yeah, that's, a, that's why I think they're so desperate to not let these people out. Because they're going to go, yeah, they tried to kill me while I was being taken. Yeah, they bombed my husband right next to me while I was in the house. Because that's what happened in some, in some cases. That's what I think this is, personally. As it says, Arm, Israel Army slams new Gaza hostage video as psychological terrorism. Well, that's one way to look at it. Sort of like when you show a video of, of these children being treated kindly in response to them telling, being claimed that they murder every child. Well, they, then they, instead of going, oh, well, it looks like they're not murdering every child, they go, they're holding these children hostage, which I guess is fair to say, but I don't know whether those children were at a different home or they had them there. or it was, I don't know the context and neither do anybody else looking at it. My point though is interesting difference to call it 
one side is saying we're trying to show you that we're not hurting the children to being psychological terrorism or somewhere in the middle. And this article says, and this is what they are actually saying, that the, the group is ready to release these two hostages for humanitarian reasons, just like last time. Now, I'm not saying I buy what they're saying, but what's interesting is just like every other time I've shown you this or every other time they've tried to offer any version of hostage exchange, they just say no. And this is what I think is so in incredible is the last example we talked about where they, the lady shook his hand and said, Shalom, they didn't get anything for that. They just released them. But the point was they were trying to do that. And I, and then Israel kept saying no, and they just released them anyway. And now we clearly see why they kept saying no, because they came out and said, no, that's not true. Now, if they're going to release these people, they're going to have a story, right? Well, here was what they've been saying about them thus far. This is an article from 20, October 25th. Oh, and, and so you can see, we're talking about where their names, right? This is Mrs. Mrs. Hannah Katzir, and there was another name I don't see in there. That, so that's who we're talking about, right? This is e e Hannah and Elad Katzir. Father Rami Katzir was killed, they claim, by Hamas terrorists, while his wife and son are missing. And those are the two people we're talking about, the wife and the son. So it says on Saturday morning, Rami, the husband, and 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 the family, the rest of the family, the mother and the and the uh, the the son, were in the house, and they were in this, their their safe room essentially. Now, we first of all could ask how in the world they got into the safe room, which is designed to not let that happen. But it says hours later, the family learned from the that the father was murdered in that sealed room, and Hannah was missing. Okay, well, that doesn't really make much sense unless you start to wonder if this was something that was, they were bombed, right? I mean, you're in a, a safe room and we know that they were bombing these homes with hostages in them per the reports from even the security team at the Kibbutz Ba'are, right? So if they bombed these people, killed their husband and then took these two people, well, their story is going to be very important, wouldn't it? They're going to come back and say, they treated me kindly, maybe based on what we've heard so far. And I saw them bomb us while we were there and my husband was killed, which by the way, we've already can prove happened to some degree. I'm not saying that happened. What I'm saying is it begins to be an interesting possibility while we see them refuse to take these people home, even though that's what they claim. That's the only thing they want. The hostage is back. They go, well, here, take them. Nope. Okay. Their son and main caretaker, Elad Katsir, also lives in, in one of these local areas. During his last conversation with his sister, he managed to tell her that the terrorists had entered his home. There's been no other information about his whereabouts until now. The family is very concerned about Hannah, the former kibbutz nanny who uses a walker and takes medication, requires constant medical attention. Well, that may be why they're saying humanitarian reasons. I don't know. Hannah was born into, uh, I think that was just this background. Right. So, okay. So the point is there, there, he died and these other people are missing. Well, now we get the story. Well, here they are. And it's the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, actually, that's claiming that we want to release them because of humanitarian reasons. Now, this isn't being released, apparently, which is telling. They're claiming it's for compassion for the family, I guess. But I think it's the obvious reason that I'm going to show you right now. Now, this is the video, and it weirdly cuts off most of the writing, which maybe kind of feels deliberate. But it says the Palestinian Islamic Jihad group released this video. And they claim they released them for medical and humanitarian reasons. Now, when you watch this, first of all, you can see it. And it says, I am Hannah Katzir from the, the kibbutz area. We're talking, uh, not the area one, but one of the other ones. And it's saying, uh, my own missing, my home, my children. 
it's, it's, it's just subtitles. So I'll read it to you. It says, my family, and it says, I give you a warm lapel, which I'm not sure what that means. If you may in the chat, if you know what that means. I love. Yeah, see, it's cutting off something below that. But the main point is right here. Everyone is healthy and happy. That's what it says. You can see it. And I, and something beneath it, would be healthy and strong. And I believe that, and this is the child, much, and I strengthen them to you, my supporters in Tel Aviv. I'm trying. I will return home and to all the something. is simply unbelievable. These, now here's the point. Is they're, refusing, they're refusing to show this. Is the people, the Israeli military, right? But what turns out is what they're really saying, and you can see this in what it says there to some degree, is one, that they're safe and healthy, and that they're upset with Netanyahu. Now, you could argue that's the Hamas making them say that, but guys, that's what most of Israel's saying right now. And that's what the people that are released continue to say. What, are you trying to kill us all? You're bombing everybody? Why don't you have a ceasefire? Get the sausages back. And this is my point. So I'm pretty, my strong opinion is that these people are going to come out and have a very different story. And that's not what they want. Now, my bigger point again is to make sure whether you think that's the reality or not, as they frame, and they call it psychological terrorism, or they're like, here's some hostages back. Like, so it's exactly what they're asking for. And they do it and they go, psychological terrorism. I mean, it's it's like a desperate move. They just don't want these people back. And that's what this is evidence of, Right. Twice they have offered a hostage exchange. And this is just one of the examples in the Washington Post where they're even saying, look, we were ready to let them all leave. And one of the examples of, of specifically civilians is that, look, if you give uh, support, food, fuel, medicine into the people that need it, civilians, and let the UN do it so we don't get any of it, we will release these people. And they said no. They publicly refused twice. So for those that want to say, like Hamas says... Well, if it was only Hamas lie, then why did Netanyahu stand up and publicly say, no, we refuse that? These lies don't hold water. So twice they refused it. My point was, does it matter? Of course it does. Because it shows you they care more about the agenda than the prisoners. Or to a more specific degree, that they don't want those prisoners to reveal what actually happened. Does that make sense? Well, here the nation... It says the Israeli government is supposed to care about the return of our roughly 240 hostages with a ceasefire alone, which a ceasefire alone would make possible because that's what Hamas is saying they're open to doing. And they've already demonstrated that by releasing people without any return, but they have stopped listening to the victims, the families like mine. A great nation article written by Noy Katzman saying my brother was slaughtered on October 7th. I know he would be calling for a ceasefire. If the only justification for Israel's war on Gaza is to avenge deaths like his, the moral stain will be impossible for him to stomach. The point is, openly, saying that, you know, uh, what was the main point? It was highlighted, so like always. Where was that again? All these precious lives lost to what end? Because if the only justification is the same point, the negotiate, it says the, He would want his two governments, the United States and Israel, to negotiate and implement an immediate humanitarian ceasefire and to pursue a path to freedom and safety for everyone before it's too late. The Israeli government is supposed to care about the return of of our prisoners, which a ceasefire alone would make possible, but it has stopped listening to victims, to families like mine. How does that make sense? Isn't that what they claim they're fighting for? You see, it makes sense because they're not in this for anybody but the Zionist agenda. 
In fact, at the expense of the Israeli population or the American population or any population. On October 28th, the families of the kidnapped pleaded with Netanyahu to broker a full exchange in, in return for their loved ones. Everyone for everyone, they begged. By all indications, Netanyahu's cabinet regards the hostages as little more than collateral damage chess pieces in Hamas's psychological games. Exactly. As Defense Minister Gallant put it. That's, that's how they're framing it. Anytime they want to offer exchange, they call it psychological manipulation. Negotiating across the Gaza-Israel barrier is simply not their priority, even with innocent Israeli lives at stake. Guys, this is the truth. And this is what Israelis are calling for and what the world needs to understand. As for innocent Palestinian lives, the disregard is even more brazen. I'm going to leave it there. The point is, it's very obvious, guys. Now, in general, because I went longer than I wanted already, another great video from Efrat Fengenson. I'm going to play the beginning of it, and I'll just read some stuff from her report. But this, she still maintains that there is no way this happened the way they said it did. November 7th, 2023, a month into the war. I'm Efrat Fengenson bringing you an update from Israel. I'll touch on several topics today. October 7th impacts the general atmosphere and mainstream narrative in Israel, my personal angle, and a list of seven government restrictions under the guise of war, which to me feel like a further decline into totalitarianism. Too late. Yeah, but it's a point just like with COVID. It's emergency governance, and it's alarming what they've rolled out. Don't forget, she was in the IDF in intelligence, so she knows what she's talking about. So stick with me until the end. When the horrific inhumane massacre happened on October 7th, everyone was shocked. We, the people, could not have imagined an atrocity of this magnitude and cruelty. 1,400 people were murdered and slaughtered, and 241 people, including children and babies, were taken hostage and are still under captivity. I don't have much evidence for the baby allegation other than that one video, but I'm able to confirm if they're taken, but it's certainly possible. My point, though, is that the 1,400 number needs to be flavored with the reality that some, if, if, if not majority, I don't know, but definitely some of them, based on the numbers we had when it was 900 that was been revealed, half of those about were IDF or, or, or soldiers or, or police. And then how many of those are occupying forces as settlers? I don't know. But the point, the reason that matters is because if they are soldiers, that they're valid military targets, guys. See, they don't, that, that's why that point is so important. Because you are a occupied territory, and under the Geneva Conventions, you have the right to armed rebellion. So when you rebel and you kill soldiers, that's protected under laws of war. So you can't pretend like any of that was some massive terrorist slaughter when that's the case. Which is probably why they continue to maintain they were all civilians. But that's impossible, based on what we've already proven. So they're lying even about that. But that's that's why that's so important. And it's important that we find out what the full picture, what are their names, who many who died, what was the reality of the situation. I, I'm willing to bet we never get that. Or declared missing. Obviously, this has sparked a bloody war. We can all witness its horrible results. Social media and mainstream media are serving disturbing content at a dazzling pace. More pieces of information are coming out every day. I listen to the testimonies and try to discern truth from cover-ups. 
And while it seems Israel defense forces indeed failed to answer this large-scale invasion of Hamas to Israel, I still don't have a clear answer to why they failed and what exactly happened on October 7th that this massacre could have possibly happened. Hostages' families are suffering. They've set up a special task force and together with circles of volunteers, they're doing brilliant work in raising awareness and trying to put pressure on the negotiations to save their loved ones. Right. So we're talking about the actual, the, the, the families of the hostages, the very people that Israel uses to the world to act like what they're doing is justified. Those are the people pressuring them to do what they keep refusing to do. It doesn't seem that anybody's actually on their side other than other belligerent authoritarian governments. Demonstrations are taking place outside government offices and the Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament, demanding the return of the hostages. I was asked to comment about the atmosphere in Israel and about how Israelis react to this collective trauma. From what I observe, some people ask questions and seek answers. They don't accept that October 7th was a failure. Some don't want to ask or know. Out of that group, some are criticizing or vilifying people who ask questions or raise hypotheses, and some ignore and echo the we'll deal with it after the war narrative. Which is exactly the same of the U.S. government saying, we'll have an investigation at some point, probably not. Right? They'll just, or just tell you what the narrative is and solidify that afterward and act like they did that. Right? That's, there is no we'll deal with this afterward. That is a manipulation that the government is pushing. Most people I know have lost a loved one or are related to someone who was hurt during October 7th. On top of that, there's a heavy psyop running all around us on both social and mainstream media. And most people are not immune to it, though some are more aware than others. People's emotional states are very diverse and quite polarized alongside sadness, immense anger and high levels of anxiety. We see camaraderie and voluntarism. People help each other, donate supplies, food, clothes, emergency equipment, open their homes and hearts for the evacuees and survivors cook for each other. This spirit is crossing all ethnicities, religious and political groups, and perhaps this is our lesson and hope. And that upsets the Zionists who don't want that to happen. The mainstream narrative is, and I'm quoting, the question of who's responsible for this big failure will be with us for many years to come, but now we focus on fighting. The failure of the defense forces on October 7th was in understanding Hamas' intentions and in not noticing its unprecedented preparation. As a senior member of the general staff told the newspaper Yediot Achronot, let us go to war. Everyone will take responsibility at the end of the war. Oh my God. The Israeli prime minister refused to take any responsibility for the October 7th disaster. Netanyahu has blamed everybody else repeatedly. But think about the logic of acting like we don't, like, so what happened to justifying war in the first place? Right. Like, isn't it? Remember the game we used to play where the, the we had to go to the international, you know, to UN and no, not today. I mean, that's never has been the case almost ever. But it used to be this game we played where you had to get like authorization for war, either in the, in the U.S. perspective from Congress, you know, or the UN. You know, the idea of just how obviously 
They're like, who cares about, we won't have to rationalize or justify why we're doing this until after it's all over. Like in what world has that ever been the case? And in a tweet last week, he blamed Israel's security agencies, the IDF and Shin Bet, for the failures. Mm -hmm. He then deleted his tweet and posted an apology the following day. None of the so-called leaders have resigned so far. That man's going to jail is what it appears to me. I mean, he, he is a corrupt, he is one of the most corrupt people I think I've seen in this process. I mean, he, nobody seems to trust him. And they all, I think they're all quite frankly afraid by what, what he might do. He seems very, very extreme. But in general, if you want to read the rest of this, she does, she makes excellent points. Now she says in a personal note, she received immense support for raising truthful, honest, yet inconvenient questions, concerns, and opinions about the seventh events. She also received backlash from people who would have preferred to, dic to dictate to her thoughts and control over her voice. The personal defamation attack, coupled with restrictions on her freedom of speech by Israeli authorities, think about that, which I'll elaborate on shortly, have inspired creativity and courage in, in shaping my communication. So she's being attacked by Israeli authorities for simply asking these questions. That needs to show you something. But she goes, these are the recent restrictions and laws that have been passed under the guise of, you know, we're in the middle of a war kind of thing. The FOIA law. Ten days ago, the Israeli government asked to freeze the Freedom of Information Act law because war. That's how this works. Live fire against Israeli protesters. I just told you about this. We're talking about Israeli Jews and other Israelis. If they simply protest or block the street, as Ben Gavir discussed, they could shoot them. And that passed. Allow police to use live fire against citizens. If you're an Israeli, realize they're not on your side. The Zionist government is not on anybody's side but their own, just like the U.S. government. Freedom to protest. Another extreme move, they limit the freedom of assembly and protest. Right. In democracy. They're restricting your rights of the guys that they need to for their ability to fight this war. Again, that means you're the problem. Incitement of conspiracy theories. The Israeli police had to set up a special task force to monitor speech online. That's not because people are believing lies, guys. It's because their truth is getting out. The reality is getting out. This force, which was established on May 2023, before this started, and right as they passed the law about going back into Gaza, as Dan Cohen showed you, clearly this was part of a plan, guys, has been operating on a high speed since the war began, even though they set it up right before. Agriculture aid and free speech. At Israeli agriculture. What the hell does that have to do with anything? Well, it's in dire situation, they say. While Israeli farmers are suffering from shortage of employees, evacuation from fields and borders proximity, or having no close, having to close their agriculture business or farms, the Israeli Ministry of Agriculture has opened a war room to monitor online posts and media reports against the ministry, which are related to the food security, in order to fight those who express criticism. <laughs> so this is interesting. So they're basically just trying to hide the fact that they're suffering in that way. Now that could that's an easy way to wrote, to tie this into the great reset discussion, right? Climate change, whatever you want to talk about. The point is they're just in the middle of all of this agenda, which seems to add to the credence of the idea that this is not part of the bigger agenda, or at least not meant from the beginning to be. They're clearly using it for that now. But that's why they're just quick just hide this. Suppress the fact that this isn't happening or that this is happening. Fight against terrorism bill. This week the Knesset is expected to approve that the fight against terrorism bill according to which the systemic and continuous consumption of Hamas and ISIS content will under certain circumstances constitute a criminal offense punishable by 1 year in prison. So this is the same like even in the United States or even anywhere. 
ISIS in these different groups, the Taliban, they've got their own channel. They've got their own accounts on Twitter. The point is the idea that they've ever been able to limit what you're allowed to consume is outrageous. But it just continues to show you these are not democracies, guys. Neither is the U.S. government or the US, or our country. They're creating a bill that illegalizes what they deem to be bad guy stuff. So it might as well just be Russian content or Chinese content or Syrian content. That's the what's that's what this is going to do. And she ends with the speculation of question. She says, we see a strong U.S. involvement in this war. We see China, Russia positioning themselves around the conflict. And my, her next question is whether Israel returned to the next in line proxy war zone after Ukraine and Russia or where. There's clearly an East versus West battle here, orchestrated or not. And as an Israeli, that feels like a pawn on a chessboard. I would like to get some answers that will help my, me navigate my life, she says. In my view, this war is driven by geopolitical interests as well as local tensions that have reached a boiling point. I mean, so she, she believes this was not an accident. So what she's ultimately suggesting is that this is part of some larger geopolitical game. Above that, war is all, always fueling certain economies. She goes, diver, uh, I think that's generally the point that I wanted to get into. Diversion from the upcoming global fiat monetary collapse following by CBDC, which is their solution. So she's saying ultimately this whole thing is a diversion from that as a possibility, which is what a lot of people are suggesting. The energy oil gas control game, which is related to the weakening petrodollar. You know, so these are just her suggestions as a possible overlap. So I think everybody can see that. My question is simply whether it was executed for that end or simply just being utilized like everything when they can. I feel it's the latter, but I, just, I, I don't think anybody knows for sure. I only say that because there's so many points to this that seem like this is desperation in so many ways. But I want to include this point, and we're talking about how, in her point, that whether this was something that was allowed to happen or whether they might have been executed something like this. I wanted to make sure people saw this because this is not, it's, it's weirdly omitted and, and kind of removed all over the internet. But in case you didn't know, this is just an old article from The Guardian, The Truth About Mossad from 2010. Their motto, as much as it's been stated, I want to make sure you saw this, is in fact, by way of deception, thou shalt make war. I've said this in the past, it's circulated the internet, but I weirdly see it getting dismissed as some kind of fake story. I mean, this is directly from The Guardian, not like that means it's true, but this is the case. They're saying, and the Mossad's old motto, by way of deception, thou shalt make war. It's no different than the CIA or the rest of them. You know, we lie, we cheat, we steal. That's what they do. That's what we always try to show you. These groups, that's what their job is. People at the State Department that we're talking, that's what their job is, to say, lie, look over there. That's not what's happening. Here's the story. That's what their job is. And they know that. Anybody honest knows that. And so when we know that the Mossad, is their, their job is to make, deceive, but make war through deception, we should ask whether that's literally what we're watching. So on that very point, Our Voices Matter points out something that we really shouldn't miss. Israel in inadvertently has to have in, it incriminated themselves. They've shared footage suggesting Hamas terrorists were responsible for damaging a number of vehicles. Now, you may have seen this. These larger pictures, I mean, this image is actually better right here, showing you all these, all these cars. Now, there's no way they could have done this. That's obvious. This, this is Hellfire missile. This is, there's no way that Hamas, Hamas did not have the ability to do this. Okay, that's a fact. Now, they're sharing this and saying, look at what Hamas did. Now, it says, for those of you who have been following this person's research, especially regarding the Maui 9-11 connection, he says, it's striking how these vehicles bear a striking resemblance to that damage. Now, that's a different point. You can pull this into W, whatever 
hypothetical connection you want. That me, I feel like that's almost hurting the ultimate point. But you ask questions. It's always good. You know, the direct energy weapon conversation. Who knows? My point, that's not what I'm getting at. My point is, I do think they've incriminated themselves. Because what you can see here is obviously not what Hamas is capable of. So that proves that they then bombed all of these vehicles, guys. Which we know. They've admitted to this. Now, what I think is hilarious, by the way, is this is coming out. And we can see this. And RT even covers this, right? And this is not what they're... But here's what Mr. New Independent Journalist Field comes out and says. Drone footage of the aftermath. Israel's military released drone footage showing hundreds of scorched vehicles. So basically, the point is, was one of Hamas's first targets when the military broke into... Okay, like, where's the discernment, man? Like, I'm just so tired of people like this that just dump out what they're told to say. Or just pluck up what the media said that day and share it as if it's independent coverage. Can we not stand back and go, but they don't have the ability to do that as anybody honest is reporting or in that, let's just even think you, let's even pretend you think they have the ability to do one of those, that many cars. And if, I mean, come on, the point is, this is obvious evidence that Israel was part of this bombing to that degree. Watch this video just to show you how the extent of this. There's no way there's not, that is not the Hamas did not do that. This was a massive effort to basically kill, I think, everybody that was taken or involved. I think that's the point. And I think that's why these numbers are not going to turn out to be 240 people. I think most of them were killed when this happened or are, have been killed in the indiscriminate bombing of all of Gaza by design, quite frankly. But I think that's important. But, you know, Narfal and the rest of them just continue to tell lines. But Danny Bannon here, who is, oh, this is the one I was thinking of, Israel 17 permanent representative to the UN says this, Israel's internal security agency announced that they will eliminate, and we already told you this earlier, but eliminate all participants of the October 7th massacre. So first, that just, I guess, means anybody involved with killing people on the 7th, okay? But then he goes, the photojournalists, even calling them journalists who took part in recording this, will be added to the list. Okay, well, this begins to add doubt to the idea that they were all wearing body cams, which very quickly seems to have not been the case. I That did not make sense to me. And in fact, it was more likely people that were actually on the ground in Gaza, which there's plenty of journalists. We were seeing that as they all get killed, that were there and filming, which is their job. Especially if this is a legally protected act under the Geneva Conventions, which it is and it was. What they're telling you is we're going to murder all of these journalists because they dared to film what we didn't want you to see. That's what it feels like to me. This person says, can you verify this, Danny? And shows you an interesting clip. And he says, will these pilots get due process or will they be eliminated as well? The point is, in this clip, which you already know, you have evidence of two things. The helicopter pilots filming while they shoot cars that could have held hostages and the proof that we know that they killed some to some degree. Okay, well then by Danny's assertion, doesn't that mean they're also going to be eliminated for both being a part of the massacre and for photo for filming it? Of course not. It's only about a one-sided narrative, but this clip is important. Now, by the way, this I, this guy, I'd like this guy's done, done some good work, but I think some of these things he's put out, in my personal opinion, have been a little bit too simplified. Just to make that clear, not wrong, but just sometimes a little too simple that kind of omits one of the bigger points. I thought that was important to state. Nonetheless, this is what he says, and it's a quick little clip about that point. Also used Apache attack helicopters. In an interview with Israeli media outlet Mako, an Apache pilot admitted that many of the cars he fired rockets at contained hostages. But wait. 
And we talked about this from the Gray Zone article, from the Cradle article, from the Mondo Weiss article, and just directly from Haaretz where it was reported. There's even more. Israeli. Oh, oh, real quickly. Sorry. And that, that's an important image. I didn't see it. The other one. That image right there is one of those cars you saw. Just one. And they blamed that on Hamas, even though you can prove they had no ability to do that. At the very least, while they were doing what they were doing. It's easily proven. That's a Hellfire missile. Those are hostages. They killed them. That's been admitted to by people that were there. There's even more. Israeli security forces also opened fire on fleeing Israelis whom they mistook for Hamas gunmen. Right there again, actually, I I already made these points. Recognize that dirt with the grab, the kind of, uh, it's almost like a crop area with like crops, you know, where they have those, what do they call it? Ah. You know, just these little pillars of dirt in lines, right? Along the ground. Now remember, that's where, as the narrative goes, they were confronted on three sides which I think it seems very deliberate, which drove them right into this field, right? And then as they ran through, they they ran head on into, remember, an IDF checkpoint or either a police or IDF checkpoint. But that how does that possibly make sense? If this is so early that they're still running from what happened, yet they broke through 15 checkpoints with nobody there, but yet you were here ready to go with a checkpoint. And then remember, that checkpoint is what shot back at these people in one case and killed hostages, or rather just people running who were part of this concert, which, by the way, was not a peace concert. It was a rave. But think about that. Till Rose, thank you. That's a good way to put that. So and just remember the way it looks. I'm going to make this point in this clip that you're about to show. For Hamas gunmen, a resident of Ashkelon named Danielle Rachel described nearly being killed after escaping from the Nova Music Festival when it was attacked by militants. As we reached the roundabout at a kibbutz, we saw Israeli security forces. It is. Called. We held our heads down because we automatically knew they'd be suspicious of us in a small beat up car from the same direction the terrorists were coming. Our forces began shooting at us. Lastly, let's discuss how an IDF commander ordered an airstrike on his own position. The very first target the Palestinian fighters attacked was the Erez checkpoint. The attack was so fierce that the IDF commander, Avi Rosenfeld, in an act of desperation, he called for an airstrike on his own position. The IDF bombed their own base in order to kill the Palestinian militants. And it was full of military personnel and other other people that weren't, they killed people doing so. And then they went later on reported that that was done by Hamas. We showed you that on the Gray Zone article. But it was this right here, this, that, uh, green video that we showed right here i guess maybe it doesn't show it all the way oh, that, okay right there so you, what you're seeing is this same area we're talking about yeah it's, it's too small to look the bottom line was that checkpoint they ran into is what was responsible for firing back and killed some of these people that's what you just heard reported from that woman who was there so now we have this checkpoint that's in perfect position to cut off the people running away from this because they were crossed in from only three sides which kind of doesn't make sense and then they ran right in. They got shot, even though there apparently was nobody else stopping them from going in these other 15 locations. None of this makes any sense. And thank you to not my name for sharing this with me. So again, are you going to take action against those helicopter pilots? That's not the narrative, though, you see. Now here, this is what's this is, this is a, an, kind of a the way one of these weird videos where they make the back and forth of it, but his points are still valid. And we already kind of talked Sam Husseini brought this up actually in regard to the Geneva conventions and the idea that they're an occupier. So they don't have the right to self-defense, but it's just, it's more than just that. It's the idea, the logic behind why they may have these rights or not. I, I just think it's a good little clip. It has a right to defend itself for the podcast. 
it's back and forth between pro-Zionist and anti-Zionist, starting with pro-Zionist. Defend itself. Actually, no. Legally, they don't. They are an occupying force in violation of international law. Thus, they forgo the right to self-defense. Israel is not an occupying force. They withdrew from Gaza in 2005. Wrong again. Legally, they are. And the UN General Assembly, the International Committee for the Red Cross, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, the International Criminal Court, the International Court of Justice, all agree that Israel is still the occupying force in Gaza. Even though it withdrew its troops in 2005, it still has complete, unanimous, and unilateral control over the Gaza Strip. Thus, it is still the occupying force. Well, even if that's true, occupying forces still have rights. See the rules of belligerent occupation as outlined in the International Committee of the Red Cross, which you just cited. Israel still has rights as the belligerent occupier. Ah, but rights entail responsibilities. Israel is not fulfilling its responsibilities as a belligerent occupier. Thus, once again, it forgoes its right to self-defense. See the rules of belligerent occupation. The only people who have a right to self-defense and a right to use violence are the people in the occupied territories. Their violence, whether symbolic or strategic, whether indiscriminate or precise, is considered neutral by international law, and thus it cannot be condemned. Now, I will add, and I, you know where I'm going to, it's important to me, that we make it clear that civilians are not included in that. Now, what, and I, the point is, an indiscriminate rocket, let's say, fired at a military installation, that's not in the middle of a civilian town. It's the, that's that's the, that's the point here is that we're talking about an occupied area that they've brought in civilians to. But you fire at a military base with no direct and location. No, it's indiscriminately bombed. The point is, it, it's still, it, it's not suddenly a crime because you don't aim at a specific location. The point is that, that any civilian targeting in any circumstance is off the table. To make sure that's clear to you, because that is an important part of this. No matter how justified under international law, the moment you aim at a, at a, civil, a civilian, you're now breaking the law. But that doesn't then invalidate the collective action of the body taking a legal step through the Geneva Conventions. It simply means that one person who committed the crime is now accountable for it. I mean, it's it, this, and this is such a simple kind. It really is not that complicated, but they make it complicated when they add all the new, you know, human shields points, which we already completely broke down. I don't get it. Occupying territories is illegal. Resistance to occupying forces is legal. These people are facing annihilation. They are facing extirpation. They are facing expulsion. They are facing ethnic cleansing. They are facing being genocided. They have every right to exercise any and all forms of resistance that they possibly can whether it's strategic or symbolic, whether it's indiscriminate or precise. I mean, you know, you've heard me say this, but I just think it's a quick little breakdown, you know, and it's it's true. What he's saying is accurate. Now, here is a Jewish rabbi from Torah, uh, Torah Judaism saying that we are on the side of the Palestinian government and the Palestinian nation. This is my point that, you know, what just because he says it doesn't make it true. But the reality is there's a very strong movement of Orthodox Jews around the world, London, New York, Israel, many other places who actively stand up for the Palestinians and argue that Zionism is a manipulation of Judaism, that they're not actually, it's not real Judaism. They're using it. And Matt Eric brought up an excellent point that throughout history, this has always been the case. We've always been in a situation where you have people who want to manipulate Christianity or, or, or Judaism or, or any other you know, uh, Muslim religions or anything. 
that they want to use that. Well, look, the U.S. government and Israel are doing exactly that. Actually, Israel in two ways. Zionism is a manipulation of Judaism and bastardizes the concept and makes it into something that it's not. And that's what they're telling you. If you're going to kill people or displace people, you're not actually embodying the, the tenets of what they believe Judaism embodies. But Israel is also doing that with the U.S. in regard to any Muslim at this point or Arab for that matter. Just making it, they're creating these, these, these terrorist organizations and driving them through this lens of extremist ideology when in reality, as even Saudi Arabia has admitted, that during the war on terror, these people, most of them weren't even actually, or rather the leadership wasn't even actually religious. I mean, we also could point out to the conversation of 9-11 when these hijackers, suppose, you know, they you could prove that they were doing cocaine and with prostitutes and they, they just argue that's some kind of, you know, caveat to doing so. You got allowed to, the point is, I think it's really exposing the fact that they're not really what we pretend they are. And then through this act went on to annihilate Christian groups all over the Middle East, because that makes sense, right? Until you realize what's really happening. Palestine. Inshallah, God should help. It should happen sooner nowadays, speedily and peacefully. And I send my regards to all the Arab and Muslim people around the world. We want to live together in harmony with the free Palestine. Ultimately, may the Almighty reveal His glory throughout the world where all humanity will recognize Him and serve Him in harmony and peace. Assalamu alaikum. Yep. And there's a lot a lot of people that are calling this out. Now, Ben makes a, an important point here. The distinction between the press and Hamas in Gaza is extremely vague. Don't you love how he puts it in quotes, right? Sort of like the innocent civilians they're doing. Like, we need to talk about the so-called innocent civilians. Like, you guys are just showing how absolutely detestable you are. So now you're just pretending that there is no, they're not real press. Why? Because they're operating in a place you're too afraid to go? All journalists, and again in quotes, he says, in Gaza are either propagandists for Hamas or threatened by them. Oh, you know this, do you, Ben? You mean, yeah, how, how, what about the uh, journalist from Reuters that Israel killed in Lebanon's border? Oops, remember that? Reuters journalist killed by Israeli bombing that even Reuters acknowledged? Was that, was that a propagandist or a Hamas member, Ben? Right, this is my point about how gross these people, he knows about this. He knows that there's already been other journalists that are not just embedded always in Gaza that have been killed in the indiscriminate bombing of Gaza. In fact, as we pointed out many times, there's been 48 journalists in Gaza that have been killed since it started. 48. As even Kim Iverson just pointed out, another one has been killed. And she acknowledges these do appear targeted. The IDF knows where these people are. 42 family members along with this journalist they just killed. 42. As he also adds, this has been true since Hamas took over. In 2014, there were widespread reports of reporters being threatened or expelled from the Al-Shifa hospital report, uh, for reporting that the Al-Shifa hospital was in fact the Hamas base. Reporters then hid their own reports. Well, that's sure as hell what they, what they would report it as, but that's challenged by the fact that there's a lot of independent journalists that have, like Eva Bartlett and Vanessa Bealey and people, Eva Bartlett lived in Gaza for years. And reported the exact opposite. Or doctors who are there currently have left already or were there years ago. Telling you that there is no evidence of Hamas location there. Of the Al-Shifa in particular. Now look, my, from my perspective, I, I got what they say and I got what he says. Quite frankly, I can see Ben lying about stuff like this. So I believe what they're saying is accurate based on all the data that we have. Either way, do you think he knows this? 
you somehow think that Ben magically knows the inner workings of every hospital and the underground? It's just insulting. He's such a line tower in this conversation. For him to argue that there is no journalist or press there means that he is now green. He's okay with them being targeted. A journalist, a supposed journalist, who is now acknowledging and ignoring the targeting of journalists. It's no different than when they people like this pretended that the journalists being killed in, in, in Ukraine were just because they were bad journalists, right? They're pro-Russia, so who cares? It's the same thing here. I just really, as I've said so many times during this process, remember these people. Remember when they showed you who they are. And again, this is not about one side versus the other or some narrative difference. This is just about acknowledging that, well, let's just even say that you believe their propagandists for Hamas. All that really means is that they're framing it in a way that benefits Hamas. Is that not exactly what the U.S. government does every damn day? Is that not what you're literally doing for the terrorist state of Israel, the occupier right now? It's what it is. And I'm not talking about all Jews, Ben, as much as you'd love to conflate that. I'm talking about the occupying state of Israel that is a Zionist organization. But that's okay, right? Because you've chosen that side. So as long as your side is okay, that, that's how this is played. You're still pretending that all of these journalists don't matter because you disagree with them. You know, just like all the Jews you denigrated who dared to say something you didn't agree with and you called them trash because apparently that's okay. Grotesque. Now, as Dan Cohen points out, the U.S. and Israel have concocted a phony humanitarian pretext to accelerate the ethnic cleansing of Gaza. And this is one of the most insulting steps in this whole process. So as of today, they're now agreeing, Israel's agreeing to a four-hour daily humanitarian pause, through which they continue to bomb, though, just so you understand, in northern Gaza to allow them to flee. But see, this is the, that's not what anybody is asking for. This is the point about even a pause being insulting, because all that means is that you want to remove them from the location. And so you'll pretend that the pause is their ability to go. They're not trying to leave. The ceasefire is because we want to stop them from being murdered. This is about pretending you care about that while continuing to execute the agenda to remove them from the location, which was always the plan. This is just growth. This is just a, a thin veneer over genocide. Four hour daily. So then you can continue bombing them. As you bomb where they go and you won't let them leave, that's still not happening. They're not fleeing across the Rafa crossing right now, guys. It's insulting to pretend this even makes sense. Reuters reports Biden gets four-hour battle pauses. Battle pauses from Israel after pushing three-day stoppages. Right, so he asked for just three-day pauses and he gives them four hours. I will wet bet my life that they bomb during those four hours. Anyway, regardless... Do you think they're going to stop bombing the locations where they can't flee from? You know, like the hospitals and the UN locations that don't apply anyway. This is just disgusting. We're being lied to and your government is whitewashing it. As the United Nations points out, which by the way, the only thing, and here's the other point, by the way, four hour pauses, they still will refuse and have made this clear to let fuel in. No matter what. And you know why? Without fuel, according to the United Nations, newborn babies and incubators and patients on life support will die and already have, likely including Shawnee Luke from Germany, who was taken to a hospital after probably being shot by the IDF is what it appears to me. 
and then probably die. She was in, I believe it was, I don't want to misquote it, but I, I did the, the breakdown on what they reported. I think it was the Indonesian hospital. I forget. No, no, it wasn't actually. It was one that's already been shut down. And the point was they brought her there in clearly severe condition, which makes no sense with their narrative. And then that hospital got bombed and shut down. And who knows what happened since? But I'm sure no matter what, they'll blame Hamas. Water without fuel cannot be pumped or purified. Raw sewage could soon start gushing into the streets, further spreading disease. Trucks loaded with critical relief will be stranded. But here's a couple of trucks in four hours, even though none of it's actually going to change your circumstances, because that's what they're doing. These people can't move. They're going to bomb them or they're going to die in place. And you're going to pretend by giving them four hours and nothing of what they need is somehow going to change the dire circumstances. The, the same human rights groups are going to keep screaming, but the media is going to go, they're so kind. Look what they did. Even though Hamas killed people, that's how this is going to be framed. It's grotesque. They are murdering people. The media are doing so with their lack of action, or rather specifically allowing it to continue with their lack of action. As Ahmad uh, Abu Fal points out, and I already made this clear the other day, but just so we can reiterate this, Israel plans to delay the repatriation, allowing to leave the unfriendly state citizens like South Africa, Brazil, and Ireland. You know why? Because they call for a ceasefire. Israel apartheid is acting like a rogue regime blackmailing states with the safety of their own citizens. And yet, these barely even these countries are speaking up. It, or Ireland is. South Africa just did. But think about how incredible that is. They're not letting them leave. They're going, everybody else can leave. But first of all, they're not really doing that. They let a few people out, it seems. But let's just say they allow the Rafa crossing open and allow the foreign people to go, which is what they keep pretending is going to happen. They're going, but not these ones. On the record. Why? Because their government doesn't like what we're doing. So we're going to literally refuse to allow these citizens to go home. I mean, guys, this is about the most obvious example of who these people really are. They're petty, they're small, and they're angry, and they're full of vitriol. It's malicious. They're going, we'd hate you because your government doesn't let us keep murdering people. Is that that person's fault? Well, no, but quite frankly, these are Palestinian, Irish, Palestinian people from Brazil or South Africa. And that's ultimately why they don't care about them. Because it's racist. Plain and simple. And you know who also sees that? Even the White House aides. So the reality is Biden has clearly locked into this which is going to decimate his chances for anything ever. And quite frankly, anybody that supports this, because it seems everybody can see through this. But even White House aides, quote, simply cannot stomach Biden's Israel policy, according to a leaked memo. You see how obvious this is? And I still can't understand why they would be willing to destroy themselves unless they've, maybe they're blackmailed. Maybe this is literally the outlines of the sexual blackmail network, and that would make sense. The point is, though, these dissent memos are simply making it clear that they are just disgusted by what they're allowing to happen. It says they argued that, among other things, the U.S. should be willing to publicly criticize the Israelis, which they will not do. It's just it's wild. Now, Zito, last two points, says, I think that the purposeful lack of transparency over what weapons the U.S. is supplying to Israel on a daily basis is tied to the larger administration policy of downplaying the extent to which Israel will use those weapons to commit war crimes. Look, everybody sees it. That's my point. Their White House aides are grossed out by how willing they are to allow genocide. And the point is that, and immediately when we showed you this, they go, well, okay, we're going to make sure you can't see then what we're doing. You know, emergency. 
I mean, that's just how blatant and clumsy this all is. So you're going to hide weapons transfers like we then don't know what's happening? Well, The Intercept reported the weapons transfers to Israel shrouded in secrecy. They know that we know. They know that they're losing control. It's time for people like the, I mean, not just Americans, anybody out there who cares about the, 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 the truth, <laughs> cares about human life, cares about international law or the use of it to, main, to keep in check belligerent authoritarian governments or government in general, which is what those are. If you care about these things, stand up for this. It's not picking a side. It's standing up for anybody anywhere who is being abused and oppressed. And right now that applies to Israeli citizens. It applies to Palestinians. It applies to probably where you are too. We need to utilize or rather take advantage of the awareness we all seem to have. Just like I was saying during COVID-19, stand up, say something. Make sure other people can see that you're not alone. We all see what's happening and don't be afraid to call it out. They'll call you racist. Just make sure that you do what I do and make sure you can, exp well, it's not true. The point is that just by pointing out that a government is committing a crime, it's, that's why that doesn't work right now because they're, they're like, it's, you're racist. It's like, okay, that, that, that just doesn't work. I mean, you're, you're committing a crime. We can all see it. You can't, there's no, not even a construct to, to declare racism. What it means is wink, wink, you hate Jewish people because you're calling us out. It's just, it's, it's falling flat right now. Doesn't mean somebody out there doesn't hate Jewish people. And that's why they're making that claim. I'm sure that exists, but the rest of the world is not falling for that anymore. So have, find the courage within yourself to stand up in one of the most obvious examples I've ever seen in my life of people that don't have a voice, that have been constantly suffering through 75 years of egregious, horrifying apartheid and occupation, and are finally, finally being heard by the world. We need to do something about this and make sure it doesn't happen again, even though that's it, history, it's human nature, bad things are going to happen, but we need to do our best to protect the weakest among us. Right. And again, even further from that, recognize how this is already being used to propel the next agenda, to talk about the Great Reset or the many things I was going to get into to start today, which I'll be probably talking about tomorrow in regard to where these things are already going. The groups that are already mandating shots for financial aid, like it's still happening. So I, it's, it's, we need to make sure it's not just one story to the next, but yet the people, the collective human species that can see what's really causing the problems that we can do our best to marshal this awareness into something that can actually, I don't know, at the very least, lessen the suffering of people under the boot of these oppressors. I mean that for anywhere in the world. Thank you for tuning in today. I mean, three. the, the funny point is I saw it about two or something that I knew I was going to go longer than I wanted. And so I just kept going. But today in general, even though, like, I think you noticed some of these parts where I didn't go deep into the article. So it probably would have been four hours that I'd done that. But give me your thoughts in general on whether you'd rather I don't necessarily go into every deep detail and you'd prefer that I just kind of give you the breakdown and let you do your further research, which doesn't mean it's always going to happen that way. I'm going to have moments where I feel like it's important to go deep, but you know, I'm just trying to find ways to help this reach more people. But on that note in general, you know, we got a, we got a, a great team here at the last American vagabond, a lot of excellent people. And as we, as I recently told you, we now have Carrie Wedler editing in the background, potentially doing some more out front work. I'm recently just bringing on Jason Bassler uh, of the Free Thought Project to do some background work on social media and different things. We're bringing in a lot of great people that are kind of like on, you know, people that have already been boxed out because of their excellent work in the past. And we need your help to keep growing, to keep fighting.
because this is never going to stop. Unfortunately, it's always going to be somebody out there trying to manipulate and hide and, and, you know, obfuscate the reality. So if you believe in what we're doing, if you believe in our efforts to do the best we can and be an objective as possible, then support us. There's a lot of ways to do so. Our autonomy program, the links are down here in the show notes for my objective court research course. If you sign up for that, you get access to everything else on that platform. You could sign up for our recurring donation platform where, we're, as I said many times over the last couple of months, just, you know, $1 recurring. Never think about it again. I mean, in my, my perspective, that's all you ever have to do. That's all that ever matters. Don't worry about dumping money here and there unless you want to. The point is just $1 recurring, forget about it. You are now a part of the last American vagabond. As I used to say a lot, which I, which I always meant and I mean today, you are the last American vagabond. We wouldn't exist without your support. So think of yourself as an investor. Right, you're part of this, and you will begin to see that more and more as we grow. Because I have a lot of big plans about, you know, particular local stuff. If you're in Franklin specifically, but you know, as we continue to grow, more and more investor appreciation, (laughs) right? But on that note, in general, if you want to support us, there's plenty of ways to do it. We believe in you, believe in us. I love you all. As always, question everything, come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.